oh yeah, I'll be uh, recording in person tomorrow. I want to wear a mask mm-hmm. for the recording session because I just I need to set that example because there's so many fucking people not wearing them. It's just crazy, and like we're in the UK where a lot of places haven't made it mandatory yet, and just the stories and pictures of people out like shopping with no masks on, nothing, just no social distancing is crazy. It's the most infuriating thing. Yeah, it's like it's um, I met with my dad over the weekend to see for Father's Day, mm-hmm. and um, I came outside in my mask. Yeah, like, you don't have to wear that, son. No, but I feel like I have to because nobody else is. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked around town with him. We just went for a walk and I kept my distance and it's trying to walk down the street and there's like crowds of people everywhere. And I'm doing the awkward thing of like, like, like sneaking around people from the side. And I'm doing the thing where if you walk yeah. past someone, turn your head to the side to be polite. So even though I'm wearing the mask, I still feel like I turn your head to the side and you go past people. People looking like I'm the idiot. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to give my dad coronavirus. <laughs> yes. It's really bad. So like, I love my dad. I don't want him to fucking just die of a horrible disease and horrible preventable. What's it now? It's just have you seen, mate? how quickly people have given up on it. Like July 4th, that's when the world ends. Okay, so that's when the pubs in the UK are going to open. And I've said it multiple times to different people where the day that Weatherspoons opens is the day it's over for everybody. Because mm-hmm. Weatherspoons is going to be a fucking nightmare. Like The yeah. working class is not going to survive. No, it's not. Like, you're not going to get people to not crowd in for £2 pints. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that we can pinpoint the exact date where Britain dies. So, it's the day where the spoons opens again. Yeah. So, why would you open the pubs on the same day you're relaxing the distance you have to stand from people? Because yeah. people are ignoring that as it is. People are, completely. Pe- people are seeing two metres. Well, two metres, like, you can do one metre, that's fine. So, when you tell them it's one metre... Because I had to date this... Um, it was announced like an hour ago that they're going to be reducing the lockdown distance. But before that, welcome to episode, is it 34, 35? 36. Either way, of the Carl's Corner podcast. And as usual, I'm here with my friend Lucas. Say hello, Lucas. Hola. And uh, what are you drinking today, my friends? I have got oh, the king of drinks. My favourite drink. I get asked this a lot, like, Carl, what's your favourite? And I always answer the jokey answer of whatever's cheapest. But my actual favourite alcoholic beverage, I think, might be what I have now, which is Brothers Toffee Apple Cider. Hell fucking yeah. Carl. Which is, if anyone out there hasn't tried it, and you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend it, is the nectar of the gods. Because that's how I usually <laughs> describe beer, isn't it? This tastes like nectar. It's so sweet. So if you've got, you haven't got a sweet tooth like me, it's probably not the best example. But one of those things where I buy it when I see it, and I'll have one bottle. Yes. treat myself because I don't really like having sugar but I'll make the exception for Brothers Toffee Apple Cider so uh, it's not a plug from me by the way it's, I just really like this drink and I recommend people try it but uh, what have you got? Um, I have a good old like cheeky oh. Vimto oh so good sorry I just took, I took that six to the first one I've had in like three months yeah because it's a really nice ice cold bottle that's been kept in and I'm like oh and to crib a line from a friend of mine, um, it tastes like an angel's period. It's fucking gorgeous. I mean, I'm not sure that that would taste good, but yeah, sure. That's just a line he said once and I lost it. <laughs> like, um, he just took a sip out of a beer and went, that tastes like an angel's period, that. And I, I, just, I lost it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. So, uh, what have you got, sorry? A, a cheeky V? Uh, yeah, which is, if people don't know, it's like the a blue wicked... Mixed with a little bit of port. Oh, you can buy them um, just in their own bottles. And they are quite nice. I didn't realise you could buy them. 
You can buy a pre-mixed cheeky pimp sauce, but it makes no sense. It's like buying a pre-mixed margarita. Yeah. So half the fun is mixing the drink. But like, even when you get the um, the ones where it's like, oh, Jack Daniels and Coke in a can, and there's like just zero Jack Daniels in there. Because they they never get the ratio exactly right. No. And the ratio, I, I know it's like it has exactly one shot, so it has exactly 25 mil of alcohol in it, but you don't mix 25 mil of Jack Daniels with a full can of Coke. No. Because I, that's the stupid way. Anyway, like uh, Lucas, before we, I, I will complain about this to the desk. I used to work in a bar, and nothing pissed me off more than people getting a like full pint of Coke with one shot in it. Oh god, yeah. I was, oh yeah, it's a vodka Coke, and he put a little splash of Coca Cola. It's oh, I want more than that. Come on, it's free. Give me more. It's like yeah, but the whole point is to taste the mm, vodka. You want that yeah. bite on it, the sharpness. I say the sharpness of the spirit. It's the same reason you put like peppers or hot sauce on something. It's like the sharpness is what makes it. Like that thing we do when you take a sip of like Jack Daniels coat and you go that that as you breathe in, as it just hits the back of your throat and it warms it to that little bit. Mm-hmm. Like that's why you drink the alcohol. Why would you get it um, to not taste it? I will say, like I know that I've got quite a few friends that like to have it as diluted as possible because Fair they enough. like, you know having a drink and getting drunk they don't like the taste of the spirit so they just water it down as much as possible which is where I'd say it sounds like a really pedantic thing sorry pretentious thing to say like just get better spirits yeah maybe you can only like afford cheap vodka or something like that but for the sake of like an extra couple of quid um, it'll make your night go better because you're going to be spending less you can drink less of it because mm-hmm. higher quality spirits generally are of um, a higher percentage yeah and even if it's just just and if you've got vodka, keep it in the freezer. This is the biggest pro tip I can give anybody. Is if you drink vodka, even really cheap vodka, because its um, freezing point is really low, you can keep it in the freezer and it will go ice cold, which always makes it taste better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, that's why I get pissed off when I, the bar I used to work at. Um, when I, for proper club nights, I'd always put the vodka in the ice tray. Okay. I say, no, don't do that, Carl. It looks wrong. Says, but it tastes better cold. <laughs> Anyway, God, that, that'll piss me off from a chronic. Warm yeah, let's uh, man. not let Carl go down that rabbit hole too but Sorry, much. sorry. No, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm really passionate about because, like, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about drinking. Hell yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the national pastime for the UK, as <laughs> it were. Especially right now. It has. And what have you been... Oh, did you see that? They, they, they actually try to get people to drink less during quarantine. Oh, God, yeah. There was that guy saying, maybe now we're all stuck in quarantine, we can address Britain's binge drinking problems. Mate, read the fucking room. Yeah. So that's, that's something I can ask you about. How much have you found yourself drinking during quarantine? Because I know a lot of people that I spoke to and friends of mine have said they found themselves drinking more, but ironically less at the same time. So they're drinking more often, like having a beer at the end of the day, but because they're not going out and slamming like 10 pints in one go, yeah. their tolerance has gone down. Oh, right, okay. So have you experienced that? Because I know my tolerance has shit the bed. Uh, I don't... The thing is, I've like for a long time I've been good at matching like my tolerance, mm-hmm. so I don't really feel it. Like I just I don't know how many drinks it would take me because I you know either drink a lot of different stuff or mix or whatever. But like even when I'm going out for quite a few years now, I've been very good at just knowing like oh I need to stop now. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if I'm going out for a proper drink, 
I don't know what my tolerance is and whether it goes up or down or not. Ah, oh, fair. We all know, as well, the most adult thing you can do. You know you're an adult when you can just take, oh, I'm just going to get a glass of water mm. or like a lemonade or something this round. Yeah. And you know that you're with friends who are also adults and they don't make fun of you for doing that. Yeah, and I think that's all it is. Is like I, I, I have um, been drinking more often, but like again, I don't. I'm not been sitting in just getting wasted, so I don't know. That's about, the thing, like my tolerance or anything. But yeah, it's one of those of it's really juvenile to be like, oh my god, you're not drinking with us right now. Like, if people just want to take a round out or don't even want to get drunk that night, just leave them to it. It is, yeah, and um, I. People will probably guess if you watched any of my content. I can drink quite heavily and do enjoy um, drinking quite a lot. Yeah. And like there are videos, I think one of the, like, the Rick Astley video we did where I was like deathly ill and I had to drink to get through the recording session. I had like I mean, half a bottle of Jim Bean or something like that to get I through the recording. I think I saw that recently on like one of the Fat Fiend Raw ones that I did. And I was just watching through it going like, oh man, Carl's just getting through that bottle. <laughs> it is, and I, I've i got a very high tolerance of drinking. One, because I drink all the time, or I did drink all the time, and also because I'm quite tall. Mm-hmm. And more recently, I was quite, I put on a lot of weight because uh, I was going to the gym. And when you go to the gym, like muscle and just being heavier in general helps you um, process alcohol a lot faster. Yeah. So when I was at my peak, just before coronavirus kicked in, which was super annoying because I lost all my gains. My gains, man. No, no. Uh, I believe I weighed uh, just shy of about 16 stone. So I was a lean 16 stone. And Lucas, mm-hmm. can you Google quicker than me? Because I, I, my sound cube is in my keyboard. Oh, okay, yeah. Can you just Google what that is in pounds and kilos for Americans? Who always get confused when you use the word stone to describe how heavy you are. So it's, it's an old English measurement that people still use. Interchangeably as well with pounds uh, and That would kilos. be about 101 kilos and so. 224 pounds. Yeah, so I was, uh, I think I was just shy of 16, so I think I was exactly 100 kilos, um, is the way I always put it out, and then I was just sh- like 220, 218 pounds, mm-hmm. and then I'm six foot three, so I could just absolutely just pound pints, which is one of the reasons I actually went to the gym, yeah. which is like, it's the most me thing ever, like the reason I went to the gym is that I could drink more, yeah. because um, you don't feel, like, in my head I have this thing, of, if I'm going to drink or have a takeaway... If I have a really big gym session that day, I don't feel as bad about doing it. Of course, yeah. So my way of doing it is, if I'm going to go out tonight, I have to go for a double gym session. I have to go for two hours. Mm-hmm. So I don't. So I'm going to work off preemptively work off the extra thousand calories <laughs> I'm going to have by having the drinks and then the takeaway later in the day. And I'll even go the like, the extra effort off. Oh, for my lunch, I'm going to have just stir fry with no noodles. So an entire bag of just vegetable stir fry. Yeah which is about 300 calories, but it fills you up because it's just so fucking dense of mm. veg. And I'll have that and I go, okay, I've had 450 calories all day if you take into like my protein shake and my morning coffee. And I've worked off a 1,000 at the gym, so I need to make up about 3,500 calories in alcohol and food, <laughs> which is about 10 pints and a pizza. And it's like, yes! Still yeah. getting my calorie content. And you can do that if you exercise. You can, and yeah. And one of the because I'm not exercising as much anymore, I think I'm back down to like 14 and a half stone now. So I've lost probably like nearly 20, 30 pounds of muscle since um, uh, lockdown began, which means I can no longer process alcohol as fast. Yeah. And it's a damn shame. So I'll, not really a damn shame, but I'll have like two pints now and I'm like, oh, I feel that. I feel that one. Oh, oh. Yeah, I think mine is vastly dependent on just what I've eaten because I find sometimes 
I have like a couple of strong ciders because like the cider I tend to drink is about eight percent, so it's very strong. Mm-hmm. But I'll have like one or two of them and be like, "Oh, I'm feeling that today." But other days I can just be like four or five of them in and just not be feeling it. For me, it's based on whether or not I went to the gym because my body's healing. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger said, "Oh yeah, the best thing after the gym um, is a beer." Yeah. to get you your carbs, to give you your energy. So, um, I something again, I'd recommend it. If you're old enough to drink and you, you enjoy just um, uh, the feeling of like an ice cold beer, um, do my shower beer tech, which is go for the <laughs> a really long, hard gym session. Really knacky yourself out. Make sure you drink enough water, obviously, at the gym, but knacky yeah. yourself out. Uh, come home and then just wait around for about five, ten minutes. Let, let, your, let your muscles seize up a little bit. Just a little bit, and then jump into a boiling hot shower with a cold beer, and it's just oh, it's instant relief. Just your entire body, you just join you um, like you stretch, and you just get that feeling of just the, the blood rushing to your uh, your muscles as it's like oh, yeah. that you have that entire feeling all over your body. <laughs> just as you get the ice cold beer, which obviously goes and you oh, it's, it's the best. Is I that the thing, Brad? That's oh, right. Like I am a very pasty like ginger boy. So the idea of a boiling hot shower, I just can't do. Not a boiling, but a hot shower. But to even that, I can't even do that hot shower. But it reminded me of the thing Brad told me about of the shower orange. Are you familiar at all with the, the concept of the shower orange? <laughs> no. Where is this thing? Uh, apparently, it is a thing with a select group of people where it's um, if you eat an orange in the shower, um, the water from the shower, do you all know, the, the pith. Um, the which is the I believe is the correct term for the awful like flaky white stuff underneath the skin of an orange oh, okay. that you can never quite get rid of. Apparently, shower when you're in the shower, like the gentle exfoliation of the water washes all that off, so you just end up with a perfect orange. Oh right, okay. So you and that pith stuff is like really dry and somewhat bitter. Mm-hmm. But if you apparently if you open an orange in the shower, one it washes it all the way down the plug hole. And you wash all that away, so you just end up with these perfect orange segments. I've never uh, heard of this. I've never tried it, but I've always been tempted. And I didn't know if it was something Brad was saying to take the piss. Yeah. And if he was expecting the next day to come in and just see all like orange peel in the shower. About <laughs> like, oh, Carl tried to get a shower orange, something I made up. Well, that's the thing people do. I mean, Carl, maybe like next week, come back and report to us. About the shower orange. He was telling me he was reading online about it. And people report having this almost orgasmic sensation of this perfect peeled orange in the shower. <laughs> and it make, that to me just makes me sound like they're doing something else with the shower head. But I don't know. See, the thing is, though, I kind of get it a little bit. Because I always prefer to cut my apple up into slices. And for Something me, about it just tastes, tastes nicer, better. doesn't it? It's just, oh, it's so much nicer than just putting my face into an apple. There's just, it's like um, trying, uh, sandwiches taste better when they're cut into triangles. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's the it's the truth. Cutting a, tri- cutting a sandwich into a triangle always tastes better than if you cut it into any other shape. Yeah, and I, I will say as well, I, not only does it taste better when I did it beforehand, I will admit, now that I've, you know, had a beard for a few years, eating something like an apple... It's just, oh, it's tough with a beard. It, it sounds like it's tough. It's like, very imagine, imagine, So that's what you need to do. You get a shower apple, Lucas. Start it up. <laughs> just start eating more pieces of fruit in the shower to see what it's like. Because why not? Just try the out every fruit, guys. Do you know what, I think would be, what like, fruit I think would be great in the shower? A watermelon. Because like, a watermelon is so messy. 
It's such a messy, fruity, or a peach. One of those really, like, there's juice everywhere. I'm I bet. I'm just thinking, you... though, you'd have to have, like, the watermelon just on Sliced. the side of the shower. Pre-sliced. In, like, a cold um, container to keep it nice and fresh. I bet, I bet that'd be really nice, because that means you can just absolutely go ham on it. You don't have to worry about getting juice all over your face. In fact, should we not just have every meal in the shower? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, it's not necessarily eating in the shower, but in my very first student accommodation, because I had a, a housemate who refused to do any washing, I would do all my washing in the shower. Like what type of washing? Like clothes or plates? Not clothes washing, but plates. Okay. Uh, so what I would do is after I finish eating, I would scrape whatever was left over down the toilet. And again, people said people thought it was weird for this, but where does the food go after you've finished eating it? What there is, If there is one thing in a household designed to accommodate food waste, it's the fucking toilet, because that's, that's where true, all yeah. food goes anyway. And then what I'd do is I'd put the plates and the pans in the shower, run a boiling hot shower for about three or four minutes, just like rinse them, same way like you would with a dishwasher, yeah. and then get them out and then rinse them in the sink in my ensuite. And then leave them to um, just dry on a um, uh, Why not uh, just a use the kitchen sink? Because the kitchen sink was always full. Oh, I see what like, you I had, I had housemates who would fill up the kitchen sink with their, like, even college, sorry, university for us, um, Britons. Mm-hmm. So what do you think they're cooking all day? Bacon. They're cooking bacon in a pan. Yeah. So it's just bacon fat, and it's all congealed bacon fat that's stuck to the pan. And it's and then what they do then is they'll half wash with the sponge, and then the sponge gets all the congealed bacon fat in it. Mm-hmm. And then every time you try and wipe something with the sponge, you're just smearing fat across it. Yeah. And then they use your towels. So I just kept it on my thing, and I would keep it in my uh, bedroom. And it Pro was weird, but it's, that, it's, the the thing, it's what I had to do. A uh, little like thing that I prefer to do, if I have it spare is just get a bit of, like, kitchen roll to soak up all the fat first. But you can't tell university students to do this. No, of course you can't. And every yeah. single day I'd yell at my housemate, I'm like, I just want to get a fucking bowl of cereal, and there's no bowls. Because you've oh, used every single bowl, because he would get drunk, and then have a bowl of cereal, and he'd leave the bowl with a little bit of milk in the bottom in his room, and when he wanted another one, he'd go get another bowl. No. And there'd be like five bowls of cereal stacked up high with the bottom ones, one that I had like three days ago, with rotten milk in it in his room and he did the thing that a lot of I think university students do which is you keep bottles of beer and Mm -hmm. bottles of spirit and you stack up in your window or somewhere in your room it's like oh look how much beer I drank this year he would do that but he he never rinsed out the bottle oh no and you might imagine like you do it in order so he he did it with his wardrobe Mm -hmm. but the bottles that he drank earlier in the year were right at the back so the ones right at the back, the ones you couldn't reach and get rid of or find, because it's just in a sea of other bottles, were the ones that had about like just a, a few swigs, maybe, or just, like, just the tiniest little bit of beer left in them yeah. that then evaporated and went stale inside the bottle. Oh, no. And then combine that with the smell of like day-old food in pans and plates around his room that have also not been washed and cleaned, and then combine that with his bathroom towel in his ensuite that was never washed, so it was always constantly damp. And then combine that with the fact that that housemate also smoked and he never opened his curtains. You're making me very uncomfortable with all yeah. this. And then imagine that that's the room next to mine. Oh, God. Yeah. So that probably explains why I did all my washing in the fucking sink. And people said that I was the dirty one, which is what pissed me off. So, oh, it's proper dirty, that. In your, in, your, in your shower. You mean the thing that's accommodated to have hot water in it and everything <laughs> goes straight down the plug hole. Oh, when someone saw me 
just scraping food into the toilet. Oh, that's disgusting. More disgusting than the overflowing bin with one bin liner in it, but it's the cheapest bin liner possible. So the moment you pull it out of the bin with the amount of food that's been forced into it, it's going to split. Oh, dear God. And that's why I don't ever want to go back to living with another person ever again. At least not someone who I don't know and trust. Yeah. Because fucking hell, that was that pissed me off. Uh, living with strangers is not great. The thing is, I knew that guy. He was a mate of mine. I just didn't realise he was a right messy fuck. Oh, no. Because he was one of those people where his mum cleaned everything. Yeah, yeah. So he had no um, sense of self-reliance. And admittedly, that was me, you know, for the first couple of weeks of uni, kind of adjusting to it. But, yeah, you... I mean, normal people, sensible people get out of that habit very quickly. Yeah. And Joe, you know what? Of all that thing, the smell that really ended up putting me off. And the, the smell that, to this day, I can't deal with. No. Because it wasn't, the, it wasn't any of the things I just mentioned. It was the fact that he didn't really shower that much. Ooh, no. So he had BO. But it wasn't just the BO. It was the fact that before a night out, he wouldn't get a proper shower because his bath towel smelled. So he'd get a shower, but then wipe himself with the bath towel that smelled. Yeah. So it's the smell of the stale bath towel combined with the links that he put on over the top to try and cover the smell. Oh, God. So he'd wash himself and get clean in the shower, but then dry himself with a towel that smelled. So Mm. he smelled like the damp towel with aftershave or links over the top of it. And now that's the smell I can't stand. Oh, no. Because it's... Or when he'd leave his washing in the uh, washing machine... Like he'd go home for the weekend and leave all his washing in there. So he'd pull his washing out and it'd be damp. Mm-hmm. So it's been sat wet for like three days. And then he'd put it in the tumble dryer. And then you'd have the smell of stuff that's got a damp smell. But now it's been dried in the tumble dryer. So the damp smell would go all the way through the apartment. It's like, oh, oh God. it was fucking awful. And then you'd open the window and then they complain. It's, oh, it's really cold in here. You see, but when you put the heating on, you put the heating on and you've got your fucking towel over it. So the smell of your towel goes around. Oh, oh. It's awful, man. I've got like, there's so many stories like that, and the fact that people can live like that really makes me upset. Yeah. Any any single one of those things would make me feel uncomfortable to the point I wouldn't be able to relax. But he could do all like seven of them combined, and he was fine. And I feel unrelaxed, like listening Hearing about to it. You talk about it. I mean, I, it made me so uncomfortable. I couldn't deal with it. Oh God, yeah. That... Does not sound like a pleasant experience. I'm not going to like it. It wasn't. And the thing as well, he had the biggest TV, so it's his room we had to go in to play Halo. No, oh, no. Because no, he, bought, he bought his first year uh, year's um, uh, student loan. He bought a 50-inch TV. And we're all stuck with, obviously, the TVs that we got from home. That yeah. are like, fat, like, oh, uh, here's the spare TV. You can have, like, a 22-inch like TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I've still got my, like, Grundig. Which is a brand no fuck has ever heard of. <laughs> but it's like, this is fat fucking 20 inch plasma that barely works and has no sound on it. But yeah, because he bought the massive plasma screen TV. We all had to go play Halo in his room. And now imagine all that smell combined with four people, like four guys BO. <laughs> so I would always sit right by the door. I don't blame you. Uh, which is why I got really good at playing on a small screen because I was on one quarter of the screen from very far away. <laughs> Oh god, that would drive me so mad. I hated it. I hate mess. And what I hate more is people who make mess and then don't see it as a big deal and then give you shit for being annoyed about it. Yep. Okay. It's like, oh, I just calm down. It's like no, the flats disgust it. Like, oh. And I don't, want, I don't want to live here. It makes me feel bad. And 
the one that always gets me. It's the I think it's the closest I've ever been for swinging for a woman. Like okay. I was legitimately like moments away from actively just punching someone. Mm-hmm. And it was my old housemate. She was right messy bitch, and she never cleaned anything fucking up ever. Yeah, and um, I, it was after I just done a shift at a race course. So a shift at a race course, if um, people are wondering, starts about six o'clock in the morning. You have to wake up at six. You have to get on a bus because I was part of an agency. They have to drive you to the race course. So that takes like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And depending on where it is, you get there. Um, so you're not actually paid for that trip. You've just got to be up at six. You get to the place at nine. You have to do all the setup. Um, stuff kicks off about 12. So you do setup till 12 and then you work till about 10 at night. Yep. And then you have to shut down. So you have to close everything down. And um, so it's basically a 12 hour day, but you're only getting paid for nine hours because like six hours of it's traveling mm-hmm. and setup, which you don't get paid for. And that's just the way it is. And I did that shift and it was the second one in a row because it was a weekend race thing. Yeah, yeah. And I got home and I got into the kitchen. It was a fucking mess. And I went, I- I'm just done. I've been cleaning all day. Mm-hmm. I smell like cleaning stuff. Um, so I don't mind just... I'm already like in dirty clothes as it is. So I just rolled up my sleeves and just cleaned the kitchen down. Because it's one in the morning. I'm not going to be able to sleep for a couple hours anyway. Mm-hmm. Because I just I need to relax. So I did all that. And I clean the entire kitchen down. So it's like one half one in the morning. Like she comes downstairs, bounding downstairs. Oh hi, Carl. You've been at work? Yeah, yeah, I have. And I've just cleaned up this entire kitchen. I've just done like another hour cleaning this fucking kitchen. I goes, oh, I've just been, re- it's been revising. Make some toast. Make some toast. So that's, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Gets the toast out. Puts the toast on the side, not on a plate, not on a shopping board, on the side that I've just cleaned. White butter on it with a knife. Cuts it in half with a knife, puts toast crumbs fucking all over the side. Like, it takes a bite out of toast and gets a hat, and I'll never forget it. Puts a hand on the side and goes, and sweeps all the toast crumbs onto the floor. Aww. And she sees me stood there with the hoover after just hoovering up the fucking kitchen. And she could hear me because it's one o'clock at night and someone's hoovering. Yeah. You don't not hear that. And sees me stood with the hoover. I just stood and I looked and went, I've just fucking cleaned this kitchen up. It's like, no one asked you to. I, I I was so incensed, I almost fucking swung for her. And I restrained myself and went to my room and just sat down and put my head in my hands. And I, I need to get fucking out of here, I can't deal. Because it was like, by that point, I'd been up for like 15, 16 hours straight, worked for 12 of them and been paid for nine. So I knew I'd only been paid like 50 quid for a day's work. Oh my God. And just seeing her go, well, no one asked you to clean up. Because no, I, I asked you to clean up and you don't. Yeah. Oh, but like, it sounds like one of the things it's so inconsequential and minor, but it's just the fact that she could see. Because she sat there, and this is the thing I need to point out, she sat there and watched me do the cleaning up. Because she was in the, she come downstairs in the front room, watched me finish cleaning up, and then did that. And it's the fact as well, like, yeah, they are fully aware that you're in there cleaning up their mess. Yeah, her mess, because she's been in all day. Mm-hmm. And I've been, it's not my mess, cause I've been at work. And the best thing about that was like, she had that job as well, but she quit because she couldn't hack it. Oh, man. Like, she couldn't hack the shifts. And then she gets annoyed when you could hack the shift, come home, clean up after it, and then get annoyed when she makes more mess. Yeah. She also got annoyed as so I get more tips than her. Because why do they keep putting you on the bar where you can get tips and they make me do stock check? Because do you know how to pull a pint? Well, no. Well, that's why. <laughs> it's like they don't let me work on the bar. Can you pull a pint? No, they can teach me. While they teach me, they've got 15 people who can pull a pint. Yeah, it's one of those of like, 
I um, get asked a lot, like, oh, well, you know, I work at Nando's, just if people don't know. And Probably not much like, longer, you know, though. You have shifts where you'll be on, like, the door, or you'll be on, like, a till, etc., etc., because we're a large restaurant, and it'll be like, man, they never put me on the door. It's like, are you friendly to the customers? Well, no. <laughs> it's like, well, they're not going to put you on a customer-facing part of the restaurant, then, are they? Oh, man. The thing is, though, the longer I went on in my um, service career, the more that I started to really appreciate the behind-the-scenes jobs a lot more, because they offer you a lot more freedom. Yeah, they do, yeah. Like, um, some of the places I went, they're always, I think I talked before, they've made me work in uniform, even when I was being a KP. Yeah. So what I did to get around that is um, I spoke to the chef and got the chef to book me, said, look, I'll do KP shifts, but can you book me in for it? Do mm. you book me in and I turn up? Um, my boss can't do the thing that I would always do if I was doing a KP shift, which is after I'd finished doing all the kitchen portering, I go, oh, Carl, can you just do setup And make uh, me come out to the bar, which means I had to get changed into my uniform, which was like a nice press shirt and black trousers. Mm-hmm. If, the, if I was just working in the kitchen, I could come in and just wear like my Converse, a pair of jeans and like an old T-shirt. And it means yeah. I could go home as soon as I was done. So I prefer that. So I got the, the chef. I went, look, if you book me in, I'll just say, oh, sorry, I'm working for the chef today. And I'm not going to my uniform on me. Oh, no. I didn't wear my uniform. So I've got to go home. You can't have me on front of house without my uniform. That's like, you. That's the and way like, I got around that. I know as well. Um, a lot of times when you're in a behind the scenes, something like KP or something in a restaurant or a bar, like you can often just, you know, put your phone on, listen to some music. That's the one. Yeah. That's what made it really good. Like chill out a bit. Just take your time with things. It's a thankless job and it is like you're working with boiling hot water. Mm-hmm. So it's really sweaty and it's really dirty. But I don't mind a bit of hard work and I enjoyed it. Especially as well because you got, um, if you work in a shit kitchen, I guess it's really bad. But I, um, ours was quite modern and I really did enjoy, as sad as it sounds, like the little gun you get that sprays water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the super powerful water spray gun. And it's like, oh no, look, there's 30 plates here. How am I supposed to clean these 30 plates? Stack them all up in a tray and get the power thing and. <laughs> I mean, Just power the wash and clean. Though, that I've worked shifts of like being a KP where the water pressure was down. Oh, I hate that. And it's like, no, I can't spray anything. It's like, oh, no. it's like, oh yeah, I need to um, dry these plates. So you put it into like the t- the plate dryer, and it just goes, and it's like put boiling hot air over everything, so yeah. the plates come out like sparkling clean. Mm. It's like yeah, and then as well, it felt like exercise because all day I'm just like. Pop- Carrying piles of plates and glasses um, to and from the bar. It's sweaty work, I'll give you it's that. It's sweaty work, but I feel like sometimes like you just feel so much more satisfied. You feel like you've earned your money doing that. Yeah. And as well, it goes fast because you're constantly doing something. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like I'm romanticising manual labour here, but I, did in, I genuinely just enjoy just putting my headphones in and just in this nice steamy room... Where I can dance, I can sing around, I can like you know banter with the kitchen staff, and then the bar staff will come in, and they're all my friends. I can talk to people, and at the end of it, the chef would make me a meal, and then I go to the bar and I get a pint and a coffee, and I go home. It's like I got paid to sit, listen to music, and talk to my mates. That's pretty sweet, mm-hmm. and that's why I did YouTube because it lets me do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that works. What you make of it, I suppose. Yeah, totally. And I know people that hate. Their job, yeah. Yeah, I, I know people that hate doing an aspect of, like, a job in a restaurant, even though I enjoy that aspect. It's all personal preference. It is, and just for me, I, I made that job fun. 
Just because, oh, if I think about it, I'm standing around for six or seven hours listening to music. Mm-hmm. I can snack all I want. I can chill, I can talk to things as well. There's a lot of downtime in a job like that. And I guess downtime is the thing that can cripple a lot of jobs. But because a lot of it was, oh, I'd just go into the kitchen and say, oh, do you want me to cut some veg? Yeah, yeah. And just stand and just cut some veg with people in the kitchen and have a laugh. Man, you try finding downtime at Nando's. Oh, man, there isn't any. Well, I was <laughs> at a sit-down restaurant, so it was, um, you got lunch. And you have the lunch rush, and then I've done that. They want me to stay on. Yeah. Because they can't, if they send me home, I'm not coming back, so they've got to keep me on till the evening. Mm-hmm. So it was like three hours where I'm not doing anything. So for yeah. that three hours, I'd just like, oh, they need me to polish plates. Yeah, yeah. And I'd just sit there with a pile of like 20 plates, and just, eh, 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 just knowing I'm getting like eight, nine pounds an hour <laughs> just to sit there with a coffee polishing a plate. So I'll take this. The weird thing is, though, I always find that there are certain people who will, you know, complain about not being able to do a certain job, et cetera, et cetera, in a certain task within that job at a restaurant, for example. Okay. And it's like, I always find those people, it doesn't matter what mood they say they're in when they start the shift, it doesn't matter where they're put, it doesn't matter what they're asked to do, they'll always just complain about something. And they'll end their shift with a face like a slapped ass. Yeah. And they make it worse for everybody else. And it's one of those, as you say, like you make what you can of the job and some people can come in and do the same thing and make the most of it and try the best to like, you know, keep in good spirit about the whole thing. But some people just don't even try. It was like the happiest people at that job was the um, the original KP. Because he fucking loved it. Mm. He said like, I come in like three, four times a week. I get like 200 quid for it, which is all I need. Like my girlfriend has a similar job. His girlfriend was the cleaner. Mm-hmm. They both work like three or four days a week. We've got a little flat. That's all we need. It's dead cheap to live in this flat. I come in a couple of times a week. I sit here and I clean some plates. Like my mates all work here. We go out for a pint like after every other shift. Yeah. Like I get free food. I can take home what I want. My girlfriend's the cleaner. So my house is spotless. <laughs> and she comes in after her shift and she gets all the free stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like cleaners and like stuff like that. If you ask, you'll probably get it. It's like... Like we never have to pay. He says like I've never paid for a cup of tea ever because yeah. end of every shift I was like oh I need some tea. It's like oh we've got a bag of twenty thousand tea bags. Just grab <laughs> a few and he grabs like a pint of milk from the yeah, chef. Yeah. He made friends with the chef because the chef's like he's doing a favour for the chef by coming in early and stuff like that. Chef's like oh yeah I'll order a couple extra um, pints of milk. Take yeah. a couple home. Grab yourself a few steaks out the fridge. That sort of thing. He's like yeah I'm only I'm only earning like two hundred pounds a week. Mm-hmm. But my girlfriend's earning the same, so we're on like four hundred pounds. It's not a bad wage, combined wage. Our rent's basically nothing, so we've got this like one bedroom flat yeah. where we live together. So like he didn't want much from life, and he didn't take much from it either. And I was yeah. like, I was, re- I always respected like his worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he got asked, like, do you want to work more? She was like, why do I? I get three, four, I get three or four days off a week. Yeah, yeah. I can just sit at home and like watch football and stuff like that. So that's a guy who's just happy. He's just happy <laughs> with his lot in life and he don't want any more. And I can see that there'd be other people in that situation who'd like be really fucking upset and annoyed about it and oh, do yeah, nothing sure. but complain. And he just saw the bright side in it of, well, I don't earn a lot of money, but I don't have to do a lot of work and it's a piece of piss. Yeah. And I was always like, yeah, that guy's got it made because then I'd look at the chef who was probably earning like, I think he's in like 60, 70 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And he was always fucking stressed and he's working seven days a week. Yeah, exactly. And the guy who just cleans up the plates, he's always got a smile on his face. It's like, at that point, is it really worth it? I, mean, I guess it is. It's like um, some people are 
they 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 live for that, don't they? The drive and the uh, the challenge. Oh yeah, for sure. So, and I so we like flourish under pressure. Like to try and push myself, but and like I you know can't say that I'm I've got life sorted or figured out or anything. But from the past like ten years of working, I've noticed that fuck getting a little bit of extra money for a lot of extra work. Yeah, that's the the choice you have to make, isn't it? And it's a privileged position to be in where you can t- make the thing of, I don't want to have more money. Well, like mm. that guy, where it's like the highlight of his days, he gets to have a cold pint at the end of it, and he's like, I'm done. I don't have to work for three more days. I've got three days off now. Yeah. And he just doesn't know what you're going to do. I'm just going to sit on my ass and watch TV. <laughs> and that's all I want to do. It's like, what a fucking hero. Yeah, and, you know, I've just spent a few days doing that so I can see the benefits. Oh, yeah, you had the weekend off, didn't you? What did you spend that doing? Uh, well, I spent pretty much the entire weekend just playing Last of Us Part 2 with Jenna. Lucas, I did the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I sat down and in, I think, three sessions, technically, um, just played The Last of Us 2 start to finish, and I really want to discuss it with you, but... I feel a discussion about The Last of Us 2, we kind of have to get into spoilers. So we're not going to do that now. So anyone listening who's like, right, try to immediately click away from the podcast. Um, do you want to do a spoiler discussion about the game at the end of the podcast, Lucas? Would you be okay with that? That would be more than acceptable because I want because to talk to someone about the game. Like, yeah, I've got an opinion about it. Together, uh, but I want to talk to, like, get some outside opinions. Which we can do at the end of this, so um, yeah, I, that's basically my weekend was just playing Last of Us 2, and uh, something we'll probably talk about in a bit more detail, because there's not really much that happens in it, is the Pokemon DLC. Yeah. Uh, the Isle of Armour, uh, which I believe you also played. Uh, so basically, I streamed the first couple of hours, first two, three <gasps> hours. Lucas, you stream. Where did you stream it? Uh, I streamed it on my Twitch channel, Legend of which Counter. Is? And where will people find it? Is there a link to it below? Uh, yeah, will there sure. be a link to it below? There we go. There's a link to it below. Go follow Lucas on Twitch. And, um, See, I have to do that because I know you won't. Uh, yeah, I won't. <laughs> every every time I speak to like, you or Nisha or Adam and you mention your channel and you never mention where you can find it, I have to go, and where would I find this channel? Yeah, Come and on. I appreciate that. That is the job of the, you know, the host. you got, you got to self-promote. you got to self-promote, my friend. Yeah, I know. I got know. to do it. I need to be better at it. You do. Um, but yeah, like I played the first few hours and I got to the point where like your Pokemon can follow you. I did like got my Kubfu and I think Is I've that the most... for a couple of trick no done a couple of the points you have to go to, but I've not done much past that. But I got to the bit as well where your Pokemon can follow you and I went, Oh, this is awesome. And I thought I'll use this as a like you know, a stopping point to go yeah. and up, like go back to the main island and buy some new clothes, because new clothes apparently have a lot of new haircut. And the fact that you can only do the Pokemon following thing on the DLC island, I'm like you, fuck, you had one job. Fucking hell, Pokemon, really? Like you put the feature in, and you can only use it on one the DLC island. The weird thing to me as well, I is was like, so pissed off. I, I understand if you go right only in the wild area because that's how the game's built. But I would say that the Isle of Armor island looks more like taxing on the switch than the wild area in the main game does yeah and i love that they still haven't fixed that awful thing of the pop-up yeah uh, especially if you're going on the bicycle which is probably the way you're gonna be getting around all the time it's the fastest way the pop-up of 
a thousand Pokemon just popping into your peripheral out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Which is made even worse if you're playing online. And it's like, oh, you can see other players. But other players are just glitching all over the joint and appearing out of yeah. nowhere. And it makes the game look so shit. I turn off the internet when I'm like, exploring the world. Me it's too, just yeah. seeing random people on bicycles appear from nowhere <laughs> and just go around in a circle and teleport out of existence. Like, this looks so shit. Why would you put this in? It looks so bad. It really does. It looks like something out of a game that's in like early access. Definitely. It looks awful. This is like a champion IP of Nintendo. Why would you not put more money into this? Basically, it's because, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know why they don't put more money into, like, getting a bigger team of developers or whatever, but the way well, I can see it one. is just, oh, they've clearly transitioned this as a handheld game still. And it's like, but you're on a console now, like, there's no excuse. There's a lot of horsepower in this little machine. Considering, like, oh, yeah, it's not, you know, as powerful as an Xbox One or a PS4 or PS5, whatever. But the fact that Breath of the Wild is on the same console as Pokemon fucking Sword and Shield. It's just, it's infuriating that I want I want to like this game. I want to like Pokemon. But when I go into it and it's like, oh, they put this new feature in that wasn't actually announced in any of the trailers. It's a surprise thing of, oh, Pokemon can follow you again. I went, perfect. That's a neat little feature. Everybody wanted that. Everybody's going to be happy about this. I can't see any way someone could frame this as a bad thing. Go back to the main island. You can only do it on the DLC. It's like, fuck! It was right there! Mm. It takes more effort to not let you do it on the rest of the island, which means it's a deliberate decision. It's like, fucking hell. How can you fumble an idea that poorly? I'd rather it not be in the game. No, I ra- still like the fact that it's in the game, but... I'd rather me- it not be in, though, than only be able to do it in one part. Yeah. Because it yeah. just highlights the fact that you, you've not tried to make this feel like a cohesive world. This literally is like DLC Island where it has special things you can only do here. It really is. And I think the way that I'm viewing it, because I was a bit disappointed by that, but I just see this game as, especially the expansion of like everything is a wild area, Pokemon can follow you. I see it as kind of a stepping stone of what they can do in the future game. And it's really sad that I have to say that, but... Yeah, it makes me excited for what's coming down the line, but is also super disappointing. It is, especially when, like I said, it's something that they put it into one section, which means they've done it, they've got it working. They have, yeah. But you can't do it on the main island. So it's fucking pointless. It might as well not be in the game. But my my argument is, like, how much are you going to go back to the main island? Well, quite a bit. It's where the battle tower is. Uh, but there's new Battle Tower-esque stuff on the island. Fair enough, but it's, I'd like to have the choice. Just like I would putting... like to, but I think like as well, the only place that it would be put in is the old wild area, which I'm never going to go back to. Because it looks awful, but it, it's just, so they put it in, but they, they can't even do that right. Like this, it should have been a slam dunk idea everybody's going to love. It should have how been, can, yeah. How can you not enjoy the fact now your favourite Pokemon can follow you around the island? And yeah, but they can only follow you around the DLC. It's like, oh god damn it! You can't even do this right. You can't even score goodwill with the public, right? This this should have been like the easiest thing ever. And the weird thing to me as well is that, as far as I can tell, the DLC is entirely based around Kubfu, who I don't care about. 
Yeah, because it's a legendary. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, well, it seems like the Crown Tundra is going to be the same because it's going to focus on that new Pokemon they announced and like the Galarian Zapdos Articuno Moltres. Oh, are they not in this game? Uh, they're in the second part. Oh, of course they are. Because I saw that and went, oh, there's some of the new, they'll be cool. Because I like Articuno. I like... So you're telling me I can't actually get that until the new one comes out? Yeah. Oh. Okay. I, I believe involved. so. Again, I haven't finished the DLC, so I'm not sure, ah. but I believe that was part of the second expansion. It's like as well when I saw the Galarian Slowpoke. I went, oh, cool, they're going to put new Galarian forms in, and it's the only one. Just that one. One. It's not one even that single Pokemon. Looking. Oh, God. So when it, I saw it, I went, oh, are they gonna, are they gonna, what they're going to do is, like, oh, they'll put a couple of new Galarian forms in. Nope. They put one. What? So there's one new Pokemon that I could possibly give a shit about because the legendaries, I don't care. Yep. And that's the biggest issue to me is they've clearly um, tried to get away with, oh, look, we've brought back Pokemon that you couldn't get. And it's like, that's not good enough for like new Pokemon expansions or games. I want new Pokemon. Especially for someone like you as well. Is it a living decks you have? Uh, well, for Sword and Shield, I have a living Pokedex, and if people don't know what that is, now, so essentially, can you clarify what that is? I have um, in like your PC on Pokemon, I have a list of number one to four hundred, and have every single Pokemon in every single evolution form, all in my PC in one go. Well, essentially, you have every Pokemon. Yeah, and the idea is when you transfer that list of 400 Pokemon instead of missing like the middle evolution or start yeah evolution. so if you like if you have you have a say if you have a Charmander and you evolve it mm-hmm. you'll have in that version of Pokemon you'll have all three but when you transfer Charizard you've still not got Charmander Charmeleon so you'd have to breed it and do it again which is a fucking effort mm-hmm. with whereas what you have you have every single Pokemon and the reason that I'm mentioning that is because I'm guessing that all the new Pokemon they introduced have looked Here's a new tech. What well, you can get Tentacool again. You've already got one. And the moment you could transfer the Pokemon that have been reintroduced, you already have that Pokemon. Probably EV trained. Um, and probably better in every way than any wild one you could ever catch. Meaning there is no point for you to bother catching any of those. I have only got like maybe a list of about 100 Pokemon that are trained. Um, but well, you still have almost every single one. Like, you've got the trained ones that you give a shit about. Yeah, and that's the thing is, there was a point where like I immediately transferred Pokemon from home to Sword and Shield, and I think maybe three quarters or more of the Pokemon that you can catch in or like reget in the expansion, you've yeah, already, I already got. have them. And that's a niche case uh, because obviously you're just a, you're a super fan and you have yes. them all. But yeah, yeah. it's not a small number. Like, there are probably a lot of people out there who have that. Like, I, in my old copy of, um, uh, what's the one we call this? Sun and Moon. Mm-hmm. I've probably got like four or 500 Pokemon in there that if I wanted to get Pokemon home, I could transfer into this game. Yeah. And use them all. And, and as well, because I'm like, not, maybe not as into it as you are, but I like the, um, the competitive element of Pokemon, which I feel. Uh, even though it means that I like Pokemon enough to get right into the nitty-gritty, it kind of ruins stuff like this expansion for me. I'm not sure if you had the same experience where you'll encounter a Pokemon and go, wow, like I think Sharpedo's one. Oh, I really like Sharpedo. 
there's no point catching this one because I catch it, it'll have bad stats. And if I want yeah. to actually use Sharpedo, I'll have to breed it to get better stats and get the best moves on it. Or I'll want the version with the hidden ability because the hidden ability is so good. Which yeah, means I have that, no incentive to catch anything wild. Because I know if I want to get the best version of it, I've got to do some specific thing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a niche thing to happen. But the fact that I can go into this game, see all these new Pokemon, or like new, big quotation marks, and go, there's no point of me catching any of these because the only ones that matter are the ones that I can get hidden abilities from. Which you can't yeah. catch in the wild. I have to go do like chaining or ready battles or whatever to go get them. Which gives me no incentive to catch anything. And if uh, there's any non-Pokemon fans or just fans that don't know why that's important, I can use Sharpedo as an example. Because um, that's the Pokemon that I was trying to catch earlier today, in fact. Because I want to try and get... Um, I want to make a, a Sharpedo. Okay, um, yeah. Because I like making my interesting Pokemon. I always like... breed Not breed them wrong, but... Say if a Pokemon is... There's one optimum way for this Pokemon to work. I'll mm-hmm. think, okay, what interesting moves can I do? What quirky sets can I give it? Yeah. And with Sharpedo, it's regular ability is Rough Skin, which I think does one-eighth damage every time you make physical contact with the Pokemon. I believe it's the 16th. Okay, so it's some small amount of damage every time you physically hit this Pokemon. Yeah. The problem is Sharpedo has very poor defences, so chances are you will kill it in one hit regardless, Mm -hmm. meaning that the best thing you'll be able to do is take a small amount of your opponent's health off if they happen to hit you with a physical move. And they could just not hit you with a physical attack. So they could just hit you with Thunderbolt or something like that. So kill it instantly, making that ability effectively useless. Yeah. And there's no way to even like give it more defense because its stats are so low that you will never actively be able to use that ability in any offensive way. Mm-hmm. Its hidden ability, however, is Speed Boost, which um, every turn your speed increases by one stage. So roughly about 25% boost to speed, is it? Uh, it depends on the stage. It starts with like... A 50% boost and then goes to like down uh, the further you progress through the stages it goes up to um, you end up after six stages getting like triple the speed you had. Oh so it's a 50% boost every time? Uh, it, it goes down to like 33% and 25% as it goes on. Okay fair enough well it's, um, it's a huge boost to speed and Sharpie does quite a, a fast Pokemon but when you get to the level that me and Lucas are at where you know the nitty-gritty of Pokemon. Speed is basically the ultimate deciding factor in every battle. For the most part. And virtually every Pokemon is specifically bred to be as fast as possible. So anything that can give you an edge in speed is basically um, the most useful thing ever. And with Sharpedo, with its already a Pokemon with quite high base speed, you get free speed boost every turn. Mm-hmm. And getting a free boost is, again, super fucking useful, which means that, objectively on paper the best version of that Pokemon is the version with speed boost. And it's not even up for debate. There's not You can't set up a different thing. No, if it hasn't got speed boost, it's not worth using. Essentially, yeah. It, it's trash without it. The problem is the only way to get a speed boost Sharpedo is to fight a raid battle version of it in this game. And even then, it's not a guaranteed chance to get it. Mm-hmm. Which means that there is absolutely no point for me, as someone who understands this thing about the game to ever catch or fight one in the wild because it's literally worthless because there's no way for it to ever make it competitive or usable on a team ever and yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a problem with me because I know this about the game and to a casual fan that doesn't matter but I really like that aspect of Pokemon but at the same time I hate that it makes me make that decision in my mind 
And, it is and I hate and I hate like... that they make getting those hidden abilities so difficult, and the fact that they always make them so good. Because I don't think there's a single Pokemon in the game that has a hidden ability that's worse. They're always better. Uh, there are there are some, but I do think it's like one of those of okay, well you can make them difficult to get, but yes, in the niche case of like people who really care, which I admit, with such a big game as Pokemon, the amount of people that care about this stuff is very small in comparison to the mass audience. It is, yes, but, but I happen to fall into that niche. away from the magic of just walking around and capturing Pokemon. And, and I happen to fall into that very niche example, so it means it directly affects me. And if all they did is just you can randomly encounter Pokemon with hidden abilities, that'd be fine. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that the only way to do it is this really convoluted process, which means that um, you will never get it in the wild, which means there's no point ever fighting any Pokemon in the wild, ever. It's well, much... I, think, I think the only other way to do it is to go uh, Pokemon chaining, which again is a really convoluted process. So, so it's usually it's usually a lot easier just to go and trade one, yeah, <laughs> which ruins that aspect of the game for me. And I know it's like because I it's a niche example of something that can happen when you're like super super into it, but surely the people who make the game realize that they have those kind of fans. Like they must know there are the fans out there. Who just see it as a numbers game and fucking love well, that they aspect of it? Hold, like competitive battles every year for those kind of people. So why do they make it so difficult? It's like, uh, and as well, like, it just makes the Pokemon better. Like every starter in the game is useless without its hidden ability because they always give it a, a one that's hundred times better. They're always like really good hidden abilities, yeah. Because they want people to use the starters because they're something that's like you know well known about the game but then they only the best version of a starter is always the event one they'll give you after the fact which means that the pokemon you start the game with your very first pokemon the one you're supposed to be the most attached to if you give a sh- any sort of a whiff of a shit about the competitive aspect of the game your starter is useless and it'll and generally really, have bad stats anyway yeah and that's that's really sad to think about that the pokemon they want you to be the most attached to is fucking useless on paper yeah because they'll release an event version of it that has a hidden ability that's twice as good. And they literally did that recently. Uh, which What's the new ones that came out? I didn't see these. Uh, the starters, so Sobble, Scorbunny, and Grookey, the hidden ability ones are available via Pokemon Home. Oh. Uh, and they're all so better. Th- you'll love this, Carl. Okay. Uh, so Sobble and Grookey, yeah, they have all right hidden abilities. Um, the hidden ability they gave to Scorbunny... Okay, uh, the fire starter... Yeah, the it's the fire Pokemon. It's the most popular one as far as I can tell when the game came out. Yeah, because it's a bunny. People like bunnies. Yeah, and um, they essentially gave it the hidden ability that Greninja had with a different name. Oh, so it's got Protean. It's called Libero, but essentially it does the same thing of it changes the type of the Pokemon to the type of the attack it's about to use. Okay, so do you want to explain to people? Again, there might not be understand that even if they're a fan of them, understand why is that so good because that is possibly one of the most broken op abilities possible to give to any pokemon because it makes them so versatile it's really versatile and as well like um it means on the, the first like thing it means is that it will give you a same type attack bonus no matter what yes. move you choose to use so if people don't know what that is say for example you have a fire pokemon if you use a fire attack um, you will do 50% extra damage with all mm. your fire-type moves. And it's a mechanic in place um, 
to encourage you to ha- use the move of the, the typing of the Pokemon. Yeah, but means that, when oh, you if can you have a, change if, to that type every time you use any attack, you, you can, can get the same like, type attack bonus on any move that that Pokemon can learn, mm-hmm. making it incredibly versatile. Because the fifty percent boost, like a fifty percent boost, is not a small thing, and it's why some Pokemon are so fucking good because their typing is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like Firefighting was the strongest typing for a while. Uh, yeah. just because it lets you use two of the strongest attacking types and get a 50% boost on top of it. Because it lets you basically get on top of, say, a 100 base power move. Mm-hmm. You will then do an extra 50 damage, which um, is roughly the same damage as Hyper Beam, <laughs> which is one of the strongest moves in the game. But you can do that damage with a regular type move just because of this bonus uh, mechanic that takes into place. But and not only reasons- that... As an advantage, is mm-hmm. um, it also provides a strategic slash defensive advantage because um, that means there's a level of prediction that comes into your opponent's moves where they have to guess what move you're going to use and then pick a move that will like affect that Pokemon type. Because, say for example, uh, Scorbunny's a fire type, it's weak to water. Um, mm-hmm. So you could attack it and do super effective damage. However, if the Scorbunny is faster, which it probably will be as very fast Pokemon, um, and uses a fighting type move, it will then no longer be weak to water because it's changed to a fighting type. Um, so which makes it super, again, really fucking good. And then with Greninja, um, it had such a wide move pull. It made it almost impossible to beat because it can literally counter almost anything in the game. And it's so much faster than almost every other Pokemon in the game that you are almost guaranteed to do stab damage with super effective damage, which basically means you're doing double damage to everything. And uh, I believe that Scorbunny slash... Um, oh, what's the name of the last one? Uh, Cinderace? Cinderace, yes. Um, I nickname all Pokemon, so it's hard to remember sometimes. But Cinderace has another ridiculously large move pool to do the same thing. Which effectively means that will be one of the strongest Pokemon in the game. And that's not an ability that is available to the one that you start the game with. Meaning, on paper, the one you start the game with is objectively worse in every conceivable way. Because it just it cannot compete. Mm-hmm. It, it cannot beat that but It's too good. And that's the problem where they make the hidden abilities so powerful. In those so cases, good. Yeah, some of They're them are so good. Like, to the point where some of the Pokemon, like, uh, some of the best Pokemon in the game for a while were ones with hidden abilities. Mm-hmm. Based, uh, was it Blaziken? Effectively, it was an uber Pokemon based purely on its ability. Which, again, was speed boost. Which allowed it to protect um, turn one. Again, if you're not a fan of Pokemon, you don't know what protect does. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It protects you, but you take zero damage from any move. So your opponent can do a hyper beam. If you protect, you take no damage. Mm-hmm. And to protect him for one turn will then give you a 50, uh, activate speed boost. You now have a fifty percent boost to speed. If you want to be a baller about it, you can do something like um, uh, uh, focus band, which will allow you to survive any single hit, and then do um, uh, sword dance, which doubles your attack. And if you survive that first turn, you now have double attack and fifty percent more speed. And chances are that's enough to kill almost any Pokemon in the game. Yeah, because uh, Blaziken someone was... is wise to the tactic and is clever about it. 
and they bring in a Pokemon that can resist the damage that you do. And even then, with the double attack boost, uh, with double damage and stab, chances are it might even get through that. And that's why it was moved to what is called like the Uber's tier, and essentially banned from normal play. Yeah, and Uber tier is essentially um, where legendary Pokemon go, which I think sums it up. Where this basic starter Pokemon can compete with the in canon, the literal god of all Pokemon, <laughs> based purely on the strength of this ability and its move pool, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it can compete with God. <laughs> Which I think just, it just highlights how strong some of those abilities are. And, um, yeah, with uh, to bring it back to Isle of Armor, it's so ridiculous. Cause, um, have you seen what the ability that Urshifu has? Uh, you've mentioned something about it. Yeah, it its ability broken. is um, that move I just talked about, folks, Protect, which protects you from all damage, and is probably one of the best moves in the entire game. Competitive and just casual. One of the most useful, yeah. Because um, at any point in time, you can just say, I don't take damage this turn. And the new mechanic introduced in Sword and Shield is Dynamaxing and Gigantamaxing, which is its own fucking thing. Uh, yeah, but we essentially, won't talk it, about that. <laughs> it makes your Pokemon ginormous and basically makes every single one of your moves as powerful as a Hyper Beam. Mm-hmm. And effectively, it's a win button that turn because no Pokemon can survive being hit by a Dynamax move unless you protect. Yeah, but it got to the point where in the competitive scene, Almost every single Pokemon now has Protect, specifically to counter Dynamaxing with because of how powerful it is. Yeah. And virtually the entire meta revolves around let your opponent Dynamax, Protect, Dynamax your own Pokemon, which lasts for three turns, mm-hmm. and then just you, and then Outlast. So it makes it into a, even though it's supposed to be a very aggressive tactic, it has done nothing but inspire hyper, uh, hyper defensive play. Yeah. Which slows the game to a crawl. So Urshifu, the newest Pokemon, which is a legendary, so it has very, very good stats. Um, every single one of its moves hits through Protect. Yeah, I've just looked up on my phone quickly while you were saying that. Uh, just to double check, make sure I'm not um, misremembering it. But I am right, it's, um, is it Unseen Fist? It's called Unseen Fist, and the effect is that it lets the Pokemon inflict damage with direct contact moves, regardless of the opponent's protection. And it's not even for reduced damage for full damage, correct? Um, it just says it lets it deal damage. I don't. So have I believe it is for here. full damage, and because Urshifu Ur- is a legendary, its stats are amazing. Yeah, and then you combine that with its signature attack, which always hits for a critical hit. And Lucas, uh, what are the exact mechanics of critical hits again? I just know they do more damage and they do something else. Uh, yes, so a critical hit will do again an extra fifty percent damage. So, but yeah. it also ignores any stat changes to the um, defense Pokemon defending. So any defensive boosts that Pokemon has, like it will completely negate them. So, and you're probably thinking, wow, those all sound really powerful. Do those percentages stack? And the answer is yes, they do. And multiply. So, yeah, so, so they're multiplicative out there instead of additional. Yes, they are, yeah. So if you combine all of those things... You now have a Pokemon. Uh, so if you use a stab attack, uh, so you're doing like an extra 50% from stab, an extra 50% from the direct critical hit. Um, if you've done a sword dance beforehand, you're now doing an extra 100% because of that. And then you have a very high base power move as it is, and the opponent can't even protect against it. So basically, it's a guaranteed kill on any Pokemon. <laughs> and you can also and that's why legendaries are terrible, because they all do yeah. stuff like that. And it's stupid, and it makes the game not fun. 
because to either play or fight item them. on that Pokemon that could then make the move even more powerful, and it's just like yeah, it gives, oh. gives it an extra twenty percent damage boost as well. Because mm-hmm. fuck you on top of that, and that's why legendaries. Um, I think me and you are the same opinion that they're not fun and they basically ruin competitive. Similar because, to the gimmicks like Gigantamaxing as well. Because not only are they not fun to play with, or not only they're not fun to fight, because it's basically a win for your opponent that turn, unless you specifically counter against it, which is not a fun thing to do, because it means you basically need to waste a slot on your team to protect against this super powerful gimmick that everyone's going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also is boring offensively, because um, legendaries tend to have very shallow move pools. Yeah, You can't breed them to give them new moves, so there is usually only real one way to play them. Mm-hmm. Which makes them really boring because there's if you see an Urshifu, it's always going to have the exact same set. Because why yeah. would you not? It's the optimum set to do. There's no other way to set this Pokemon up. Which, and I think one of the, the best parts about competitive Pokemon is making interesting, fun teams or interesting gimmick Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of negated by the fact, oh, I've got a Pokemon that can hit through anything for double damage and basically kill you in one. And there's literally nothing you can do about it unless you can outspeed it and kill it first. Yeah, and as you say, like, I always found, especially that it's why I like double battles, because I like to find interesting movesets and combinations of Pokemon that work well together. There's some really dumb stuff you can do. Yeah. And kill. Like, there's some really um, interesting, dumb stuff you can do. Like, one of my um, like favourite Pokemon that I bred was a. I'm, all, I'm sorry, there's a lot of people out there who don't really like Pokemon. I'll try and explain everything best I can, but at the same time, to people who do understand what I'm talking about, I. And thinks, oh man, he's just explaining to what I already know. It's uh, it's for those people. And it's it was for an aggro. Majority of people that don't pay attention. <laughs> yeah. to well, I hope people who listen to my podcast are big fans of Pokemon because it's like I'm a huge big nerd. So I hope my audience also falls into that category. But <laughs> for any jocks out there, I don't play Pokemon. Agron, it's a Steel Rock type, so a super strong Pokemon. Uh, very good typing defensively, um, very good stats. Um, but you can chain breed onto it the move. Um, Body Slam, which is a move that has a 30% uh, chance of doing uh, Paralyze, so it can Paralyze, mm-hmm. or you can just give it, if you want Thunder Wave, which is an attack that always paralyzes. Yeah. And then, if you, again, you've got to chain breed this onto it. It's not a move you can give it normally, but if you breed a Pokemon with this move and then breed that Pokemon with your uh, an Aggron, you can then get a baby Aggron with this new move, which is called Smelling Salts, mm-hmm. which is a move that does double damage to anyone that's paralyzed while at the same time healing their paralysis. Yeah, yeah. So, But the thing is, because it's such a rare move uh, already... Well, um, the move Thunderway... Oh, well, having paralysis will make you 50%, like your, your speed will drop by 50%. And you have a one-quarter chance of um, not being able to move that turn. Yeah. So it's a really good um, beneficial stats effect to do. And the benefit as well is that no one expects... Like, there are a few sets for Agron. Like, it has a couple of really good moves, and there are a few ways that... So if you encounter someone with it... Because I think I played you with this Agron, didn't I? I don't want to like, talk we about had, we, we had a, <laughs> what, sorry? We had a battle, and you see an Agron, and you go, okay, so he's going to have like so, Earthquake, any one of the moves that you normally see on it. The last thing you expect is for Agron to use Thunder Wave. So, okay, so why is Kyle using Thunder Wave? Okay, so now what's he done? Oh, he's used um, uh, Automize, which doubles your speed. Yeah. And Agron's not a very fast Pokemon. When you double its speed and you're paralysed, there's not really much you can do. Mm-hmm. And then you use Smelling Salts, which is a move that you would never see anyone have on an Agron, because the only way to get it is to chain breed it onto it twice 
and it's not a move that like, anyone would really use in competitive anyway. Mm-hmm. So it completely took you by surprise. So now you take double damage and instantly die. Yep. And my Pokemon's now twice as fast as yours, so I can pretty much guarantee to get the Thunder Wave off every single time. And if not, I believe you had like Head Smash on it, which is just yeah. ridiculously strong and killed anything that I tried to counter yeah. with. Which is one of the strongest moves in the game, but it has a um, low accuracy. Mm-hmm. So what I do to counter that is, oh, just give it a wide lens, which um, gives you a 20% boost to accuracy, so I mean, it <laughs> practically hits every time. So now I'm, I've got a Pokemon that is super fast, Super tough, paralyzes you turn one, and then either slaps you in the face to wake you up, or headbutts you at the speed of sound. So, unless I have, like... Unless I know it's coming and I have a Pokemon that can take out this very tanky Pokemon in one go, then I'm just, like, on the back foot immediately. Well, the problem with it is, once you've seen it, you go, okay, so he's going to paralyze me, I'll send out an electric Pokemon, I can survive that, and he never gets to set his gimmick up. But, so you only get to do it once against one person, but for me, doing it that one time is so fucking worth it. Because when I saw your face, when I paralysed you, and you were like, okay, so I'm paralysed, and then I just I busted out smelling salts, and you're like, wait, what, you can give Agron smelling salts? Yeah. You didn't know it could do that move. No, I didn't. You're like, wait, what, you can, Agron can do that? It's like, yeah, but you have to, like, breed a Harry Armour onto something <laughs> else, and then do it. It's like, oh, it's so good, it's so worth it, just to see that look on your face. And I was stunned, like, I just didn't Literally, know Literally. Literally, I metaphorically, you were stunned, like your Pokemon was stunned, and so you're like, wait, what? I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, and it's one of those, as you say, like, the gimmicky sets you can only really pull off once because i it's so worth it, and it's so fun. No, it, but that one time you pull it off against someone, oh, God. It's and I'm so with a mindset. Like, in Pokemon, I would rather lose 10 matches, but win one with the gimmick. Yeah. Same way I'm like with um, Yu-Gi-Oh, where I have gimmick decks, where I would, oh, I would yeah. happily lose... 10 times in a row to someone playing a super optimal deck that lets them win turn one. If I can beat them the once with a gimmick, because that you know, I don't mind losing 10 times because I know I'm playing an inferior tactic that shouldn't really beat anyone. Yeah. So I don't mind losing in that sense. And the win for me is ultra satisfying. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know the person playing the super optimized deck, they get no satisfaction from winning because it was a... Well, of course I won. I've got better cards and, be- and the tactic that I'm using is basically... Um, one draw win yeah, against yeah. anyone not using something to counter it or something equally as broken and strong. So I know that they get no satisfi- satisfaction from winning, but really mad when they lose. And yes, <laughs> whereas I get no, uh, I don't get disheartened by losing, but I really enjoy winning. Yeah. So overall, I'm the one having more fun, and that to me is um, uh, the way it should be. Oh yeah, for sure. Which is uh, really fun. And that's the reason that um, when it comes to fighting games, I always play low-tier characters. Yeah. Uh, even though I have the technical skill in a lot of those games to play higher-tier characters and probably win a lot more, I don't want to play the optimal way because it just... After a while, it's you're not having fun. Because um, you ever seen... Oh, you probably not heard, but there's a guy who used to kick the absolute shit out of everyone at Street Fighter 2. Uh, I'm going to find the guy's name now. Uh, okay. Because okay. he's one of these, he's one of these legends um, in the gaming world. Because he just literally fucking disappeared, and no one knew why. And there was lots of people like, "Oh, he died." So I'll double check. Street Fighter Two champion disappeared. So he's one of the very earliest ones, like when Street Fighter Two was in arcade. So uh, find his name now. All oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I do find it interesting that that can happen because I know that, like, a couple of times when it's just like. 
you know, whether it's sportsman or e-sportsman or whatever, just like, oh, I'm on top of my game. I'm just going to, I'm going to go. Well, here it is. It's uh, Tomo O'Hara. Okay. O'Hara, um, if you pronounce it right. And he was a, back in the early days of Street Fighter 2, he still played in arcade. So it's not, it wasn't e-sports, there wasn't a lot of money in it, but yeah, there's still yeah, championships and there was a lot of bragging rights for this. He was the best Street Fighter 2 player in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, he beat everybody effortlessly. And there was like an interview with people who fought him. It's like, I was pretty good at Street Fighter 2. I won every tournament I entered, and then I fought this guy, and I couldn't land a single hit on him. <laughs> like he said, I spent $20 in quarters playing him and didn't take a single round. I didn't win once. Oh my God. I, I, went, te- I went 10 rounds without landing a single hit. Like that's how good this guy was. And he swept the biggest tournament of the day back in the 90s and then disappeared. Oh wow! And, th- and this being the day before the internet, like the days before the internet, or the widespread adoption of it, no one knew where he went, and there were rumours like, "Oh, he moved." Mm, yeah. um, another another one was, um, "Oh yeah, he died." Uh, another another one, which I really liked, was he got a girlfriend and stopped <laughs> playing Street Fighter. But what actually happened is he just stopped playing, and is this really telling quote from him? Um, because I think it's a great big story, which is a, a really good YouTube channel I recommend because they do mini documentaries, like three okay. or four minutes, but really highly polished and well-researched ones mm-hmm. where they track him down they ask him and he goes well he got to the point where if I won I didn't feel happy that I won because winning was a given yeah yeah like, but if I lost I was crushed and devastated so the only way for me to feel normal was to win and I realised that that wasn't healthy fair enough so I just so I just stopped playing that's a good attitude to take and it reminds me, and that's like um, an ethos that I follow, at least in the regards to the tactics that I'll adopt. Where if I was playing top tier, I know with the skill I have in some of those fighting games, I'd probably do okay. Yeah. But I would feel so fucking, so much more salty when I lost. If I'm using good characters, so I know the only reason I lost is because I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And my sure. ego can't take that. Whereas if I'm using like Captain Ginyu, it's always like, oh, a low tier gimmick character. If I lose, I can blame it just a little bit on the character. <laughs> and I know that I'd do at least a little bit better if I picked a better character. Yeah. So it helps me in that regard. It helps me as well stop uh, taking everything so seriously. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like... So I'll never have that burnout like that guy did of, well, I won. And he didn't even want to celebrate. Yeah. Because of course I won. I'm the best. But then when he lost, he was just heartbroken and distraught. Oh, God. But he does a great thing, though, because they, they managed to track him down, um, this place. And it's like, oh, I, I'm surprised that everyone... Oh, this is a big mystery, because people knew my name. They could have just looked me up in the phone book or on Facebook or whatever. And um, he says, yeah, I just, I just stopped, and I went to school and carried on with my life. And now I've got, like, a wife and kids, and I'm happy. And they ask him, though, but do you still play Street Fighter 2? And he says, yeah, every now and again. I've got, like, a, a Sega... Not sorry, I've got a SNES in my house. And they've asked him, uh, so will you play your kids at Street Fighter? I will. When they're old enough, I'll put controller in their hand. And if they can beat their old man, maybe I'll think about training them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's doing that like sly, jokey way, but I like the idea of um, his kids. I'm guessing a lot of kids these days are going to grow up thinking they're good at video games. Yeah. And the, the day that kid's like, oh, I'm really good, Dad. I bet you can't beat me at this game. And he looks, it's like Street Fighter Five, And he goes, oh, well, it's like school, these fucking kids now, isn't it? <laughs> Because that's how a bust start of the skill. Did you know your dad was the best player of Street Fighter 2 in the fucking world? Oh, God. That would be a, a, a glorious moment. Like, I like the idea just, oh, yeah, he kept it down low for years and just never told them. 
you're still secretly training. Everything. You're not going to lose muscle memory like that, are you? I mean... Uh, it's something ing- that, is ba- that is forged into his muscles. I was going to say, like, maybe if you're... Oh, yeah, I, I played this game quite a bit, but when you are untouchable at a video game, I would imagine that sticks with you. Yeah, he's, he's going to be pretty good at it, even if he's rusty. But uh, that reminds me a bit of, I think it's Futo. I'm just going to double-check make sure this is the guy. Okay, if that, yeah, sure. If that's his name, so it's uh, Futo. Uh, so I've not heard the name Futo. I think it's that. Okay. Uh, it's going to double-check his name. Uh, uh, Carl's uh, just uh, like having a little go. He's, he's trying to run, but he's doing his best. Trying to remember. Oh, here we go. So it's um, the Evo Grand Finals of that year. So I'll just double-check, make sure who it's between. Okay. Oh, they're not going to tell me. Fucking hell, I'm going to fast-forward into this. Of what year? Years ago, he's specifically it's a player. I think it must, it might be Futo. Basically, like, um, he plays Virtual Fighter. Okay. And Virtual Fighter, if anyone doesn't know, is one of the most technically complex video games ever made. Uh, because uh, in that game, one, it's for, like you can zero to death people instantly. But the easiest way to explain it is there are like parries and counters in that game that are one frame, literally one frame. So to be any level of like good at it, um, you need to have reaction speeds of a god <laughs> essentially yeah because it's like the most technically demanding um, fighting game ever and I think it's like two buttons as well so it's like it's similar to Dead or Alive but a hell of a lot more complex so think of like the counter system in that but these ways something was like this guy Futo he was the champion of Virtual Fighter for a laugh picked up Street Fighter and won Evo which is the biggest fighting game tournament on the planet in this like, game that he in this game that he didn't play because his reaction speed was so godlike. He just picked it up on the day or whatever. Not on the day, but he like practiced for like a couple of weeks and went, Oh, what's what's Street Fighter? And won Evo. Because oh, his wow. reaction speeds from playing Virtual Fighter was so good that <laughs> once he understood the basic mechanics of the game, you were never gonna fucking land a hit on him because he can react so fast yeah. to everything. Because he's used to playing a game where he's got one frame. So if people don't know, like one frame's like one sixtieth of a second to react to stuff. <laughs> and when you're used to like playing something at that speed, it feels like everything else is going in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. Is that similar with uh, is it Mewtwo King, the Smash player? Uh, yeah, he's Smash Melee player. Uh, he's one of the best melee players on earth, and um, again, um, like his reaction speed is like phenomenal because that's a game where you've got like literally in some cases like a single frame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be able to react, which is one sixtieth of a second, and there's a, a famous story about someone was teaching him this new mechanic had been discovered in the game. Uh, if you press this button um, during your stand-up animation or something like that, you can do this. And he legitimately turns to the person next to him, "Okay, on what frame?" Because he's played the game to such an extent he can recognize when seventeen frames of animation have played just by looking at the screen. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? So yeah, you can see because he's, he's he can see it, so he can react in literally one sixtieth of a second increments, which makes him almost impossible to beat. How do you defeat someone who can see that fast? There's um a few stories in like the speedrunner world of, oh yeah, well until like a couple of years ago, we thought this speedrun tech was impossible because it's frame perfect, but then someone just did it because they realised, oh yeah. Um, if you practice enough, you can have reaction speeds, or you can predict the mechanics of the game and just visually tell. So you can get a frame perfect thing. And again, it requires reaction speeds. It's one sixty of a second chance you have to do it. So you basically have a split second to react. And if you don't do it perfectly, it doesn't work. Yeah. 
And there are people out there who can consistently do that on command. And again, it's learning the game. So they would learn, not necessarily, like, they wouldn't necessarily react on, like, you know, instinct. But it would more be that they've learned that game and sat down with that one trick for long enough that they can do it consistently in that split second. And that to me is just amazing. Like that Futo guy, like virtual fight, which guaranteed requires like some like ridiculous, insane reaction speeds. Mm. Goes and plays a different game and wins. <laughs> because it's like playing in slow motion again. It's like that scene in Dragon Ball um, where the freezer force comes back to Earth and Krillin's like, oh no, I've not trained in a while. I don't know if I can beat the freezer force. Mm. And it shows him just floating in midair as this guy's trying to punch him. And he's just like dodging the punch seemingly on instinct. He's like, hang on a sec, why am I dodging this punch? Why is it like it's going so slow? And someone reminds him, look, Goku and Vegeta, they're still untouchable, they're still the best fighters ever, but the fact that you can even keep track of what they're doing with your human eyeballs yeah, is a, a, a feat unmatched in the universe, except for a select through group of people who know Goku and Vegeta. Mm. Do you really think this basic bitch freezer soldier is going to be able to land a hit on you if you can do that? <laughs> and I just think that's great. And they even have, uh, I think, in the Dragon Ball manga, um, where the Tournament of Power, which goes a bit differently to what it does in the show, um, okay. all the gods are shit scared of Master Roshi. Because mm. Master Roshi goes and fights Jiren. Uh, people don't know if you're not watching, Jiren's the strongest character, so he can kill everyone. He's the he's the biggest and he's the strongest and his number's the highest. Yeah. And Master Roshi is a five hundred year old man <laughs> who can barely walk. And in the anime, oh sorry, in the manga, um he fights Jiren and he doesn't land a hit on him, but he can dodge his punches. It's like, oh, wait a minute, how is he how is this old human man dodging punches from an alien who's stronger than gods? <laughs> and they think he's got ultra instinct which in Dragon Ball is oh you are it's a power learned by the gods that allows them to fight on pure instinct yeah and effectively allow them to react instantaneously to attack it's like man has Master Roshi got ultra instinct it's like no but he's trained in martial arts for so long that he can just look at Jiren and know where his punch is going to go based on his muscle movements <laughs> so it doesn't actually matter how fast he's going to throw a punch as long as because Master Roshi knows where it's going to be so yeah. as long as he's just not where that punch is going to be it doesn't matter how fast it's thrown <laughs> and like Jiren's like how do I beat this old man <laughs> I can't beat this 150 year old quite fucking pervert he's too good that was always the, the best thing in that tournament, the power arc, is that they basically justified Master Roshi being able to fight with godlike powered enemies just because of his absolute knowledge of martial arts. Yeah, and if you're going to fight him with martial arts, he's going to know what you're doing. He can just see you and go, okay, well, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And they have that, don't they, where someone's trying to fight him. It's like, oh, youth can always trump experience. He's like, but it doesn't matter how fast you are. I can like your technique is so bad yeah. that I can just see through what you're doing, and I feel, and I, I love that as a, a mechanic. Oh, sorry, not mechanic. It's like a a trope. Yeah, just as like an idea for a story of like this character that should not be able to be in the tournament at all, but he can compete. He just knows that much, and like with Krillin, like Goku's talking about Krillin. He's like, oh man, well, Krillin's not as strong as all of us, but he knows so many weird techniques that no one can counter. He'd mm -hmm. probably be really useful. Like, yeah. he knows, like, the Destructo disc. And he, he's uh, mastered the, um, the spread shot, so the key blast that can follow people. Mm -hmm. And no one else really knows how to do that. 
And except it's like for Yamcha. the tricky character. Yeah, except for Yamcha, who they don't invite, and I'm so mad they didn't. Oh, man. They even have that bit in the Tournament of Power where he goes home to wait for his call. <laughs> like he goes home to wait for the call. Like, surely Goku's going to call me. And he's sat at home waiting yeah. for the call. Like, are they going to call me to fight in the Tournament of Power? And he's just Is like, he... oh, they must, they must be like leaving me to last. I guess. Save the best till last. Yamcha's he's a really good fighter. Again, because he has these really weird techniques that no one can really like figure out how to counter. Yeah. Like Spirit Ball, which is a key blast that you can control. No, it's just like, make... oh, man. Oh, man. Fucking, I love Yamcha. I also, I also only weird that his best friend's a cat. A transforming cat. Yeah, that transforms. It's like the weird cat girl. Did you see that episode? That's like probably the weirdest, creepiest episode. No. Where um, they try to get Master Roshi... To distract him. So Poir transforms into a sexy cat girl. And they talk about the fact, oh, I don't like being in this form. Oh, no. And it, like, they're, but they're like the most, like the hottest, most slamming girl you've ever seen. And like Master Roach is all over that. And you just think, that's Yamcha's best friend. Yeah. Wonder, I wonder if Yamcha ever uses that. Because that, it's weird how he's such good friends with this cat. Oh, don't say that. And Dragon Ball's making me ans- ask that question. I don't like it. No, I don't. But, oh, man. I love as well Wolfang Fist, because Wolfang Fist is so dumb. I mean, I, I think my favourite thing is just the fact that there's an actual wolf howl that comes along with it. Do you know, no, it's Yamcha who makes that. I know, yeah. Yeah, in the um, in Fighters, you can hear him go, ow, ow, as he does it. It's like, what a dumbass. Yeah. What a fucking loser making his own sound effects. I respect I it so, it so much. He makes his own wolf sound effects as he summons a spectral spirit wolf as he punches you. It's great. <laughs> Fucking Yamcha, man. What a dumb. But I now want to discuss The Last of Us. Okay. So to the lovely audience at home, if you've not played the game yet or you want to play the game and don't want to be spoiled, this is your last chance. Um, all right, thank you for listening. And um, as per usual, check out the links to Lucas's stuff found below. Appreciate it. But I want to talk about some goddamn Last of Us. Cause, uh, I've been, I played that game in one big sitting. And I just want to talk about it because, man, did that game make me feel some things. So, um, you were warned. Spoilers, spoilers start now. Right? All spoilers, full spoilers. Yeah, spoilers start now. Folks at home, you were warned. Um, I'm probably going to load this section to YouTube as well. Again, you've, you've had like 30 straight seconds to click away. So, fuck it. Lucas, Last of Us 2, thoughts? Um... Man, the way that I've been trying to describe this game is impactful. Ah, okay. I've described it as mechanically perfect. Mechanically, it's almost flawless, but um, story-wise, what a flaccid fucking ending and just middle and beginning. And now, I disagree with you, but I'm, I'm wanting to have this discussion. Okay, well, we need to have... First, we need to clarify, like, Joel dies. And I believe this is probably, like, the sticking point for a lot of people. Where Joel dies, and he is killed by a newly introduced character. So it's a new character to this game. Mm-hmm. And right, so we could probably... Like, I'm guessing people listening, they know the story. So we don't really need to clarify how it happens. But at no point in that game did I ever stop being pissed off that Abby killed Joel. And I think the game tries to make you sympathise with her. It tries to like, make her actions seem justified. I think it failed on all counts. And I was still pissed off at the end of the game. 
And I don't think that I grew attached to the character at all. So it failed in that regard. I definitely agree that it failed in that regard, but I did become attached to the like two Scar characters that were then essentially what I believe was meant to redeem Abby in people's because, eyes. But because she has her own last of us with those where they're her Ellie. Yeah, I think like it didn't in my eyes redeem Abby at all, but it did give me two characters that I was emotionally invested in on that side of the story. Yeah, and it's um, is it Lev and Yara? Yara, um, which I thought they were cool characters. I really enjoyed their characters, and I think to me it was a case of I really give a shit about these two kids and not about the fucking bitch I'm playing. Yeah, because they're just kids stuck in this world, and it's not their fault. The world around them's terrible. Mm-hmm. Exactly like ellie in the first game where it's not ellie's fault she was born into his terrible awful world yeah and it's not her fault that she's been forced to deal with these very adult things mm-hmm. and make and have these decisions and things thrust upon her so you do take on the protector role but at no point in the game did i ever stop thinking fuck abby yeah. i hate this character i hate this character they are irredeemable and i think as well the fact that it, it does show you why she did it, but as I say, me just and Jeff, like, yeah. together with the entire conversation, uh, we, the entire time we were playing as Abby, it was like, we know they're going to try to make us like her, but fuck it, that was too brutal. She went too far. Yeah, and here's what really got it for me, because did you read the leaks at all? Uh, I didn't intend to, but I had a lot of okay, things. So, so I... I read all the leaks because I, I was curious. Mm. And I know in my head that spoilers, unless they give, like, if I'm weird with spoilers, like, if someone spoils something for me as I'm watching it or playing it, that'll annoy me. Mm. But I knew that The Last of Us 2, it wasn't coming out for a while, so I thought I'll read them. And I genuinely didn't think the spoilers were real based on how stupid they were. Mm. And I can explain that of, um, I assume that some parts of them were correct, such as Joel dying. Yeah. And that's why Naughty Dog went so hard on trying to suppress the spoilers. Like, we don't want the big twist of the game to get spoiled. Mm-hmm. And I assume that it would be done in a different way. Because when I read the spoilers thread, um, it had this thing in it that you see a lot um, when people try and make something seem authentic, which is additional details, which air, air, lend an air of legitimacy. But the extra details were so dumb and so on the nose, I thought, well, this is someone making something up. To make it to make the game sound worse, and the detail right. that stuck out in my mind is Joel gets beaten to death by Abby with a golf club, which is again I thought that can happen. In, maybe that does happen in the game, but the detail that they put in is you get a solid, you get a lingering several second long shot of Joel's destroyed, crushed face, where you can see brain matter leaking out of his face. And I went, "There's no fucking way the game does that," because if they do that, you will never forgive this character. Yeah. Because I thought, if she kills Joel, that's one thing. If she brutally beats him to death to the point, and then they show us how awful Joel is, and they even, I think the detail in the leaks is you can hear him struggle to breathe. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way they'll do this because that's too bad. Like, even when Joel tortured characters, it always happens off screen. Yeah, yeah. Or he does something that's off screen. It's like, they'll never do that because that's too stupid because it makes the character irredeemable. Mm-hmm. And then they did it. And I saw it, I went, they fucking, I can't believe it. They did it. And the fact as well that it was, oh, okay, well, she fully, like, shot his leg in half. 
Yeah, and I thought, okay, that's bad enough. And they even show you like the like, oh, his leg is fucked. Uh, It's not like this game is intensely graphical with his like violence and destruction of bodies. Like his entire quad, like the entire bottom half of his thigh is ripped off the bone. Yeah, which I thought was really weird. And I can bring this up uh, because like this game, the trailers for this game lie to you. Because I went, oh, it's gonna be weird. How I wonder how Joel's gonna walk that one off. I had the exact same thing of like because I looked at him later in the game. They do. And there's a trailer where it's Ellie is at in the camp and she turns around and it's Joel who says, you didn't think I'd let you do this one alone, did you, kid? And it was in uh, Seattle, I think. Yeah, and when I saw that trailer, I saw that trailer around the same time the leaks came out and I thought, well, Joel's going to die, but at the end of the story. Mm -hmm, And he's going to die in this way at the end of the story after you spend another game with him. And that's how I thought he did. So they show him in the trailer, he's with you. So I, when I saw him get his leg blown off by the shotgun, I went, that's really graphic. Also, that doesn't look like something you're going to be able to walk off. Yeah, how is Joel like, gonna how be- the fuck is he going to grow a knee back? How is he going to do his weird gameplay stuff? How are you going to get Joel crouch walking behind you? Exactly, yeah. If he's got no knee, unless they do a flashback. Mm-hmm. And then she beats him to death with the golf club. And the fact that it's like, okay, well, she does all that, which is... As you say, just gross and irredeemable. That's the thing, yeah. it occurs just as she gets her life saved by Tommy and Joel. Yeah, and that's what made it really annoying as well, that she thinks this guy's awful, I hate him. Mm -hmm. And that's immediately after his first instinct upon encountering her is to save her life. Yeah. He saves the life of a complete stranger and places absolute trust in them. Yep. Maybe showing that he's changed. And that's one thing that I've seen a lot of people annoyed about online is, oh, well, um, the decisions that Joel and Ellie make are not what they would make in the first game. And it's like, it's almost as if there's been four fucking years and Joel's like changed his mind a bit on society. Yeah, because he used to be a guy who was all about number one and he mm-hmm. had to survive on his own. But now he's part of a community. And he wants to grow and build that community to regain some semblance of humanity and, in effect, get back his own humanity by helping to build something better than himself. And And it's it's almost like he started to believe in the innate goodness of people, which is why his first instinct is to offer them a place in his community. Of Oh, do you want to come join our community? It's It's a town. We've got food and water. He even offers them, before they blow his leg off, we'll at the very least come back to our town to resupply. Yeah, yeah. And they literally make a point of showing uh, other points in the game that, yeah, Jackson was very much taking families in and helping people out. Uh, yeah, and, it, uh, and little details you can get from reading stuff mm-hmm. is, um, Joe, when you go... I'm not sure if you read, because I read every single collectible in the game. Uh, every one I found I read, yeah. And one of them is, it's when you're checking the uh, the logbook of, okay, so what did you find? Mm-hmm. And if you read through it, you'll see, oh, Joel and Tommy went out on a supply, and they found some supplies, they left them here. One of the details is, oh, we found a family in the woods, gave them supplies, and let them go on their way. Yeah. Like, oh, we just found people who didn't even want to join our community, but we gave them supplies to help, mm-hmm. and and then, like, help them. Yep. And then, and, and if you're going to, like, kill Joel, maybe don't have him be a super nice guy who's reformed when you do it. But to me, that was, like, I think... When I started the game, and it was like, right, okay, well, this all happens. We're going on a, a 
vengeance mission, I mm. was like, okay, cool. Well, they've introduced the zombie character. They've shown how brutal she is. She's completely irredeemable. Let's go fuck her up. Because I thought the entire point was, well, they show Joel's like a nice guy now. He's helping these people out. Oh, they fucked him up in the most brutal way possible. Yeah, and that's like, the problem I had. Where That's the justification. If- I would have been okay if they killed him even that early in the game if it would have just been they shot him in the head. And what I was hoping for, um, or after the fact, I thought, what would I have been okay with? And it would have been if he actually got to have a conversation and if Abby actually confronted him about what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Joel doesn't ever find out why he's being killed. He just assumes that she's someone he wronged in the past. And I would have... Been, I would have been fine if it had been Abby said you killed my father why did you do it and asked him just why and says to protect a girl I'd do anything and she'd ask are you happy with and something along the lines of well, would you die for her and Joel just looks at Denny and goes absolutely mm-hmm. and then when Ellie runs in and he says don't hurt her and then he can go peacefully knowing I've saved her mm-hmm. I'll, yeah and he can prove right there that he would die for Ellie yeah. absolutely and that would maybe add a bit of some poignant, some some like something more poignant to Ellie's revenge quest, and how pointless they try and make it seem when you know that Joel sacrificed himself for her. Like maybe if she makes the thing of like just leave Ellie out of it, like have Joel say anything like that, and then make that the reason that Abby doesn't kill Ellie even after she comes back, instead of her having a change of heart for no reason. Well, I think the change of heart is the fact because that of Lev. She's focused very much at that point. On, like, I mean, yeah, she goes after them, but up until that point when you're with Lev, it's, I don't care anymore, like, fuck my life, let's go help this kid. And I think as soon as Lev obviously turns around, is like, no. It's like, okay, well, fuck this life, yeah, get out, get out, and just save the kid. Yeah, but the thing is, though, they give her the exact same character arc as Joel, which makes it, some for me, somehow worse, because Joel had that exact same character arc, and it proved that he changed. And they're expecting us simultaneously to believe that Abby can have the same change of heart, but that Joel also deserved to be brutally murdered for what he did. But then they tell us that it'd be wrong to do the same thing to Abby. But the way I see it is, I think, for me, I, like, knowing the whole story now, appreciate what they did, because for me, um, I was fully along with Ellie's path of vengeance the entire time because of how unjustified Abby was. Yeah, and it makes me, and like I said, if it had just been a gunshot to the head, I would have still been pissed off and wanted to get Abby, but I would have been much more willing to sympathise with her if I didn't know that. If, if, if it had just been a gunshot to the head, if it had been instant and quick, and if Joel would have had his moment just yeah. to say why he did it and for her to understand, like, I don't, say something like, I don't expect you to forgive me, but I'm not sorry for what I did. And then in a bout about of anger, she can shoot him. Because okay, it pisses but then off, like he says, I'm not sorry for killing your dad. I've been on board with Ellie going after Abby a second time. Well, that's where they have to do that. But that's what I mean. But I would have been... if they, when, the, when Ellie went for Abby the second time, if they'd have had maybe Joel not be killed in such an awful way, I would have started to come around of like, okay, Ellie, you've got what you wanted. Like, why are you doing that? And then I would have... Because that's what the, that's clearly the feeling they want you to have of that second revenge mission they want you to feel like it's pointless and they want you to not want to kill Abby I don't know for me personally I was I would have been quite annoyed if I sympathised with Abby at that point 
Not even sympathised with her, but agreed with Ellie that let it go. I'm glad that I didn't, like, personally, I thought it paid off better that at that point I was still on board with no Oh, yeah, I was. One, 100%. I never forgave the character. And um, I was incensed. Like, when the game made me control Abby, uh, mm. I went, okay, this is fine. The first time, because I thought, oh, it's going to be a little gameplay thing. When I picked up a collect, not a collectible, when I picked up uh, parts for my gun, and I realised, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, they're going to make me play another 20 hours as this character. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. Because I thought, oh, maybe they'll make us play a little bit and it'd be a condensed version of her story. It's like, no, you're going to play just as much, as long with Abby as you did with Ellie. Yep. But I don't like this character. Again, I don't know. Like, I don't know what Naughty Dog was hoping, but for Neither me, do I. it works that I didn't like the character still, but that I found... Levin Yara's story interesting enough to keep me through. But they're the, the only things I... But I, at no point, liked Abby. And what made it even worse is that they very clearly, as I want you to understand the rest of the group, they give you a lot of time with the rest of the group. Yeah. And I, the one thing that I thought... I, this is the bit I think felt the, the most flat, and it's where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Is the character Mel. And that's mm. the pregnant lady who, who Ellie kills and feels really bad about it. Yeah, even yeah. though even though that character tries to stab you, so it's completely one hundred percent self defense. Because uh, what I found so funny about it is like she holds up a gun, like, I don't want to kill you. Just tell me where Abby is. You know what Abby did is wrong, and I know that you know that because yeah. earlier in this, in the later in the game, but earlier for you, Abby has conversation with you where you say that you think she went too far, or yeah, like you yeah. think it was wrong. So I know that you don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to stab me to protect her, and then the game tries to make you feel bad for doing it. And like that character Mel, I thought, okay, so this is the character they're going to try and make you feel bad about killing. Yeah. And Abby has a conversation with her where they talk about what happened to Joel. And I thought this is the bit they're going to give her the humanity. And they ask Mel, oh, so do you not agree with what we did to Joel? And she says, no, I agree with it. In fact, I think he should have gotten worse. I just wish I hadn't been there. And, it's like, and this is the character you want me to feel bad about killing. That they openly admit, yeah, I wish you tortured that man more. The guy that you spent the entire first game playing as and have a really big emotional connection to. And they want me to feel bad about killing the character in self-defense. He's like, I wish you tortured Joel harder. <laughs> I yeah, just wish I didn't have to see it because it upset really me. For me, that specific line really stands out as a moment where that didn't fit in with any of what the, the character of Mel had shown the entire time. She's supposed to be a fucking doctor. And she's meant to be a very sympathetic, like, quieter character throughout the rest of the game. Well, everything and ab- after. Everything about her design wants you to feel sorry for her. Because mm-hmm. she has, like, the mousy hair, the mannerisms. Yeah. She has, like, the slightly bulging eyes. Cause she, like, so she looks like a scared, skittish creature all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really wish, though, you'd murdered Joel Harder. I'm really glad that he's dead and rotten in hell. And every other character in her group who you're supposed to want to like and want to spend time with talks the same way. Yep. And then they have, like, the dude bro-ish conversations about, oh, man, these fucking scars, man. I fucking hate these guys, these weird cult people. And you think, oh, that's... Yeah, probably. They seem really weird. They seem awful. Why did this war start again? Oh, yeah, we shot some kids. Yep. (laughs) So so I know it was a truce on a... 
oh yeah, some kids started attacking us, so what were we meant to do? Go- we like, not gun them all down? We gunned down a bunch of children, and they want to, they want you to sympathise with these people? When you're in there, you're making sport of shooting people with sticks? And for me, I don't know whether it's um, maybe myself justifying the story in my head a bit, but I didn't sympathise with any of them, and I'm glad that I didn't. But the game clearly wants you to have some kind of attachment to them, like, even if it's just, oh, this character's kind of fun to be around. Like, from the very first conversation I had with that Manny guy, I went, I fucking hate him, he's a prick. Yeah. Because they're trying to make it, oh, he's like a, he's a cool Lothario-type character. He's like, oh yeah, I slept with a lady because I fuck girls and that makes me a cool, relatable character. And then he cuts in front of a queue. Yeah, and I... That's <laughs> what? The thing is, I don't you always know like if me. it's the game not being written very well or if it's the game intentionally trying to not make you really like these characters. No, they're trying to make him seem cool. But I don't that's know if they I, are. I read it as they're trying to make him seem cool and he's like, oh yeah, I, I fuck all the girls. And I'm going to go get that line of, oh man, I kind of wish I was getting drunk and watching anime. Of, oh, so relatable, man. It's like, no, you murder children for sport and, and talk at length multiple times about the fact you really seem to like murdering scars. Yeah, and that's why I think that it may have been intentional for you not to like any of those people. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but because the Abby's whole like redemption is to end up hating Isaac and hating the wolves. It is, yeah, but at the same time, like, they're supposed to be her friends. Like, they're the people who, when she said, I want to go on a cross-country murder spree, like, yeah, I'm on board. Fuck yeah, I'll, I'll come in. Like, they're the people who were all on board for, we want to go torture a man to death, and they're like, fucking yes, on it. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm saying is kind of, like, I think that... Maybe we're viewing things... Well, not maybe. We are viewing things quite differently, but I don't necessarily think that playing as Abby was to make us sympathise with all of the wolves. But uh, Yeah, like they want you to have the same thing of, like, oh, maybe these guys are the bad guys. But we knew that from the start when they killed Joel. Oh, yeah, totally. totally. And we know that from the lines they have about murdering children for sport. Yeah. It's like, oh, Abby, your moral high ground looks so flimsy on top of these, the bodies of all the children your group has killed. Oh, God. It's such, like, yeah, as we're having this conversation, I'm just thinking about different story points, and it is a very, like, complex story in the way that it, you know, goes off on a lot of tangents and stuff. Like, if you look at the overall main arcs, it's not actually that complicated a story. No, it's a revenge story. Story. It's a revenge tale. But I think, yeah, to me, there's... I read it as, like, there being quite a lot of nuance in. Maybe you aren't, like, to meant to like the people that you're playing as and meant to actually see, oh, you know, I hate this fucking group and Ellie's justified in hating these people. But then they don't commit to that because then by the end of it they're like oh no but Abby there's some humanity in her there really wasn't like even Joel in his worst fucking days like the worst thing you see him do in the previous game is when he's torturing those two dudes mm-hmm. to find out where Ellie is and even he is justified doing that because those guys are cannibals yeah and I think it's weird because they hinted at well maybe Joel did something like you don't know about Ellie and they she went yeah totally him. I know he did 
because he lived in a rough time and he mm-hmm. needed to do it to survive. And he doesn't feel sorry for doing that because he's alive. But like, Abby, did you really need to torture this man to death? Like, you could have shot him. And Joel even said, like, he, he re- he's resigned to his fate. He doesn't even know who she is. Yeah. He's like, just say your speech and get it over with. You're going to shoot me, shoot me. And I it's think that would have been... It's weird to me that they would put that line in when it did just turn out to be, oh, yeah, the hospital scene. He shot his dad. That guy was going to cut the head open of a small child. And that's one th- the interesting part because I know Abby feels justified to herself because she says that line of like, yeah, dad, um, if it was me in that position, I'd want you to kill me and kill well, people. But you the can thing see is, though, in the dad's eyes of like, I wouldn't kill you. That's the thing, yeah, because she says that to like, and the game tries to tell you of like, see, look, Abby would have been fine to die. It's Joel who was the bad guy, but it's not Joel. It's not her who needs to say that. It's the dad. Yeah. And in that thing, if that would have been her, you can see that he would have absolutely done the same thing of Joel, have killed the guy who was trying to do it. Yep. And as well, there's um, I think this is a behind the scenes thing from The Last of Us 1, where they were actually going to make whether shooting the doctor at the end of choice. And then they decided, no, we're going to commit to our story, yeah. No, it wasn't. It's uh, well, That's one of the reasons they did, but another one was that in playtesting, 99% of players immediately shot the Doctor. I found Without... it very interesting when I played it for a second time to play with Jenna. Um, the first time I played it by myself. And I was fully on board with, fuck everyone, I'm going to go murder that Doctor. I immediately I shot him hesitate. Head, yeah. But then Jenna did and was like, can I not save him? I was like, yeah, you can. And you can't. No, you, um, you, can't. you have a prompt to stab him with the scalpel. Mm-hmm. But like 99% of um, players immediately just shot him in the head the moment they walked into the room. So they didn't make it a choice. They just put in the extra cut scene or the contextual thing you can stab him with the scalpel. Mm. But like, even when you look at the Fireflies as a group, even they were fucking irredeemable. Because you can find the surgeon's own notes about the fact he's experimented on other people and it didn't work. Yep. Where he talks about performing the same experiment, the same brain removal experiment on other people who were infected. And that's the thing is, um, I believe that's why he's so quick to know that Ellie has to die is because he's already been doing this shit. And he knows it has to happen. But at the same time, then we have like the fireflies where you have Marlene go, they give her the complete flip reversal on her opinion initially. Mm -hmm. Where she's like, oh, do we have, like, I don't want to kill Ellie. Whereas, like, in the previous game, like, your first thing was to tell Ethan, like, the guy who escorts Joel out, if he moves, shoot him. Like, I want you to murder this man because he's the only person who knows what's going on. Oh, shit, yeah. But they try and, like, re- like walk it back of, actually, no, she was really, like, sad to kill Ellie. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, man, like, they try to walk it back so hard. And it's the same thing of, like, the Fireflies were all pricks. Why would you rejoin them? Yeah. And then even after Abby's arc of, oh yeah, she's left the wolves, she, re- she she tries to go rejoin the fucking Fireflies again. I think it was really weird that, like, I think it worked because it it helped the payoff at the end, um, but it was really weird that, oh, it's all about, like, the Fireflies, the wolves, the scars, and then out of nowhere in some the Barbara, there's just, like, a different group. That you never get any. It's almost like that bit felt that felt bit at the end felt so fucking tacked on. Um. Yeah, and I I think as I said, like to then have them at a common point at the end, I think it works. But it was very weird. Just oh, here's a new guy, and I get that. Yeah, 
in this world, there's factions everywhere that are doing the same thing and it's all fucked up. Yeah. But it it felt very out of fucking left field to just be like, oh, new group. And the weird thing is I wanted to spend more time there because I was really curious. Because like everywhere you spent the game previously, it's been really cold. Or in the case of Seattle, really wet. And the few... Like the few infected you actually encounter, which is an optional encounter when you're going through that neighborhood and abbey, are all sun scorched. Yeah. And yeah. they go to the effort of showing that these ones have been burned by the cordyceps. And I thought that's a really interesting thing I like to see explored more. And you're, in, you're there for five minutes. And like they went to the effort of, like, oh, they animated and also they gave like new textures to the, like, the infected out here. But then you yeah. encounter five of them. And I think. As we, as you mentioned very early on in this Last of Us discussion, the game, it probably shows for how long it took. The game technically is just fucking ridiculously. Oh yeah, every single room in that game is unique, and I believe every in- individual um, person you encounter has a unique face uh, and a unique name. They have a new name, which um, for me fell is the flattest falling thing ever. Where they initially said, oh, every character has a face and a name, so you feel bad about killing them. But the moment you... If you can, you can walk up to them and you see Ellie, who's like a 120-pound white girl. Yeah. Like, and they'll walk up to her, and the, their first reaction is to unload on you with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would I feel bad about killing them? So maybe, like... It, it felt so flat to for me. delve into, yeah, the gameplay of it, because yeah. I personally try to avoid a lot of firefights. I didn't because I realised it doesn't matter. They'll no enemy in this game will show you any mercy. And one of the things that pissed me off is again because I, I know what the game's trying to do is in selecting counters, the final guy you kill will go down onto his knees and yeah. beg for their life. Oh, I never saw that. Oh, it's a scripted thing at the end of some encounters where the last guy will like fall down injured mm-hmm. and just talk to you, and they'll either beg for their life. Or just say, please don't do it, or look me in the eye when you kill me. Oh, the right, problem okay. is, they're putting that in to make you feel bad for killing them. But if yeah. you just stand still, eventually they'll pick a knife up and try and stab you. I never so, noticed that, because as I said, yeah. like, I avoided all firefights. And a lot of the time for me, it was not because I didn't want to hurt them or anything. It was just a, oh, in this game, it's quite open, and you're against quite overwhelming odds. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, a lot of the time, it was maybe get a stealth kill or two. And then as soon as they see me, just fucking run. Just run away. Well, I didn't do that. And I, I murdered everyone. Because fuck you. Uh, but like, I felt like that moment, it felt so flat. I can see, you can see the strings that I yeah, try to yeah, tug yeah. at your heart. Don't you feel bad killing this guy? He's begging for his life. It's like, no, because you're going to program him to stab me if I leave him. There's no option I have here to end this conflict that doesn't involve me pressing the square button to finish him off. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's just me being cynical about it, but I, you're doing it to make me feel bad. But it doesn't work because I the f- did avoid killing people. Dogs. Uh, okay, so don't kill I dogs. We'll confirm. Me and Jenna played through the entire game. The only time a dog died was the one cutscene where it has to happen. Yeah, and then they try and make you feel bad about it. Yeah, by making you play fetch with the same dog, even though it's the game that killed it in a cutscene that's unavoidable. Yeah. Um, but and again, yeah, like the again, felt completely killed, flat. Uh, the only time I avoided humans uh, specifically was when you make your way over to the island where all the seraphites are, the scars. Yes. 
And when it's done a, a relatively all right job of like showing like Lev and Yara as, you know, nice children that are just kind of caught up in this, I was like, I don't want to murder all these people of like your, uh, Lev's like basically family and friends while they're trying to run away and being invaded. Yeah. Well, I did kill every single one of them, and Lev never makes any sort of comment about it. He doesn't care. That's I, one really weird thing is, like... I'll be honest, mate, right? Because the combat in that game is so fun. And by the end of the game, I basically, like... I was Batman. Because the thing that I know you about Abby is, I hate the character. Her yeah. gameplay is so fun. Because I'm guessing if you didn't really do much combat, you didn't get the perk. Um, the I think it's the adrenaline perk. Oh, no, I got called. that. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, the adrenaline perk is like you, if you kill an enemy with a strike attack, your next physical attack will be a strike, mm-hmm. which turns that game, the combat in that game, is now the most fluid shit ever. Yeah. Because you can chain together melee kills like you're in Far Cry or something, but it feels way more organic. And every single encounter I had in that game was me sprinting directly towards the enemy with a brick in hand and just <laughs> obliterating everyone in a few moves. Because and it's so fluid. It did and... feel really good when I pulled that off, but I didn't charge into combat that often. Oh, I was doing it for every single combat encounter. Every single one, because it felt so fun to do. And um, I, I remember like, when I realised, oh yeah, this is a Last of Us game, you've got the punch lasers, so you've yeah. got the ability, like, everything's contextual, is um, a clicker was running at me and I shot it in the leg, and it fell over and I pressed square, and Abby just stomped on the back of its head. Yeah. And I went, that's the coolest thing ever. So every encounter with clickers was me just shooting clickers in the knees and then punching them (laughs) in the back of the head to then get the bonus to punch harder, which would then be followed by her just knocking a clicker out with her bare hands. Oh, I never got to use that against clickers because I You can use it on clickers. And if you can donkey punch a clicker, it kills them in one. And if it doesn't kill them, it stuns them, which opens them up for a brick throw into another punch. So... In my playthrough, Abby is just punching everything to death. And to be fair, and it's super fun. Her, I think she could pull it off. Yeah, and it's super fucking fun to do that, and her gameplay is really great. And it annoys me that that's an ability she has and not Ellie. Because Ellie is like more stealth orientated, but it means that you can't take the aggressive approach, which is more fun with the gameplay mechanics that exist. Of like the contextual um, uh, fight scenes and stuff, like if someone's near a brick wall, you'll push them into the wall. Or if they're injured in a certain way, you'll deliver certain attacks. I mean, I like, guess just so, like, but Abby have a lot more freedom. that with a knife. She does, but like, Abby's just got the sheer raw like, man strength. She does, yeah. Like that fucking, just the raw. It was like those giant beefy arms. Um, Did you see as well, they made those arms bigger? No. Um, in, the very, in the first trailer where Abby's in it, because she's not named in the trailer, but she's in the trailer where they, um, um, well, it's Yara, gets her arm broken. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like she's in that trailer, and in that trailer, people looked at her. She's she's athletic. She's clearly very toned, mm-hmm. like very fit and in shape. Um, but like, it's more akin to what Ellie looks like at the end of the game, right? So when right, you see yeah. like Ellie in the vest, and she's just like she's toned, but she's not ripped. Mm-hmm. And then later in the game, for some reason, they just gave her these giant arms, which I know that people can get in shape like that, and I know that it's a woman with an atypical body type, and I applaud it. I couldn't, because she's got such a, a young-looking face, all I could picture is, you know, that episode of Spongebob where he gets the inflatable arms? <laughs> That's the only thing I could see, because they give her such a young face, and she has the same face and she's a child. Yeah, but, but I, just, like, I, her, I do her, her, think that that, you know, quote-unquote child 
version of her is probably, what, about 17? That's what freaked me out, though, because she's really short. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But like, and I assume that, to give her the parallel with Ellie, she's around Ellie's age, like 15, 16 years old, maybe. And mm. what weirded me out is when she's talking about Owen, her boyfriend... He looks like he's like 25 or 30. That was weird, yeah. And it made me really uncomfortable because he looks so much older than she does. And in supposed the younger be... cutscenes, yeah. Yeah, in the younger cutscenes. Like, they look roughly the same age and they're old, but like, she looks like 15, 16 years old, if not younger, in those early cutscenes. And they're talking about her dating a guy who looks like he's like 20 odd. Yeah, that I found really odd. They didn't either, like, you know. They made her look too young, or they didn't make him look young enough. Young enough, yeah, because he still has, like, a full beard and everything. Yeah. And, yeah, I I like Abby's design, but, like, her arms just are so massive. I did appreciate, though, that it shows... The gym. Where where does she sleep? (laughs) Next to the gym. The massive gym. And they have a line in it where she lifts up uh, the guy and says, yeah, I pushed um, 175 pounds this morning on the weight machine. So is that, it makes sense that like she's working out all the time, but then you look at her, oh, what does she eat per day? A single burrito. <laughs> she has one burrito. It's like to get to that size, like we talked about me going to the gym earlier in this podcast, like you need to have like four or 5,000 calories a day just to maintain. Yeah. Like there is absolutely no fucking way she could get that level of muscle mass on the diet they apparently have, unless she is taking all of the steroids. And for me, it was <laughs> distracting more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just say like, I think... Is a good character design, like if you just look at her as a character, but yeah, it's when a, you put a female it in the context of yeah, they eat one like small meal a day. It's like, how are her arms that big then? And I actually like a design at the end of the game where she's lost some of the muscle mass, but she's still clearly very toned and in shape because she's in like some sort of work camp. Mm-hmm. And I thought that physical design looks so much, and it's still intimidating because when you compare it to Ellie, who's like more waif like, yeah, it's like she still looks physically intimidating. And I don't get why, like I said, they changed it between the trailer and the final product. But they made her so much buffer. Yeah, yeah. To the point where she's, like, bigger than some of the guys she's with, who were apparently in the same military regiment. But I imagine for her character, that they is wanted her to be a physical like overcompensation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to make her a physically imposing threat. And they wanted to give her a different gameplay thing. Mm-hmm. Like, she is, like, she's clearly a lot stronger and more physically capable than Ellie is. Uh, but, She's clearly uh, so meant to be um, akin to like Joel gameplay. It is, yeah, and that's like that's the replacement for it. So it's probably a gameplay reason. But if she did have the design she has at the end, and she's doing some of the stuff she does in that game, like she's beating clickers to death with her bare hands, <laughs> maybe you wouldn't believe that as much. I can believe that the Abby's in the game as it is. That Abby can beat a clicker to death. Yeah, and I found it really funny because you know, there's the boss fight of the big bulge of cordyceps oh that which i thought was super fucking interesting i did too i thought that was a really cool enemy and, and it's and the like background the one, of a uh, smaller bit that falls off it yeah and becomes an enemy in itself i got like trapped in a room just with it and i ended up punching it to death to the point where it was running away from abby yeah because it runs away when you do enough damage to it until you have to fight it separately but i love that boss and I like the explanation of, oh, this is the ground zero for the cordyceps, and we just dumped all the bodies in a room, not mm-hmm. thinking about it, and all the bodies grew together yeah. into this writhing mass. I think it's called the Rat King, which is a super, oh, cool, right. yeah, which is a super cool name for a boss. If you know what a Rat King is, it's a uh, if a bunch of rats all live in close proximity, sometimes their tails get stuck together, mm-hmm. and it just forms this tangled mass of just, like, disease, which I think is very akin to what that enemy is. But, yeah, like... 
Abby's gameplay is more fun than Ellie's to me because I like that super aggressive gung-ho attitude and her upgrades are really useful for that. Uh, yeah, but I still played quite aggressively with Ellie when I got oh, I did as well, yeah. one fight. Um, it's like the same way when you play as Ellie in Last of Us 1 and you get a shotgun with Ellie. And I was like tiny little baby Batman Ellie. <laughs> and there's like these huge buff dudes going around like, okay, where's this 14-year-old girl? And she just jumps from the shadows with a shotgun and a grenade. Ah! <laughs> and it looks fucking awesome. And I will say that very final fight where you're breaking in to get Abby, like I walked in a straight line towards the enemy with everything. I built every explosive I could. Like my very first encounter with the enemy go, who's that? Is that a trespasser? And then a dynamite arrow flies at their feet and they just explode into That's a exactly cloud. That's what I did. And then like all the enemies are like, oh my god, Calvin! <laughs> and I just went, fucking too right. Like, Ellie is not messing around. She's getting in. And as I say, I played relatively passively for most of the game. Up until that moment. in that section. Because I knew that the moment they give you the submachine gun... I went, well, this is the last fight area of the game. Because they yeah. did the same thing in Last of Us 1, where you don't get an actual gun. A good gun that can be shot multiple times without worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Until the literal last section of the game, where it's just, use everything you have. Yeah. So I used every single item. I was blowing people away. I was just running up with the shotgun. And just, like, shooting people in the legs. And then just, like, stabbing. It's moment-to-moment gameplay. Super fucking fun. And I really enjoyed that they had a couple of infected chained up. And I just let the clickers loose on them. Oh yeah, and the clickers um, are really good things to have. But um, that last bit where you've got to run into that room looks so great for me because I had a fully upgraded pipe with the scissors and stuff stacked to it. So it was a (laughs) one-hit kill. And I had my fully upgraded pistol. So my way through that building looked fucking terrifying. Because what it is, it's this 120-pound white girl sprinting in. I shot... The first person in the legs, so they go down, run up with the pipe, do the full baseball swing, take off, take their, the top of their head clean off, which causes the person behind cover to stand up like, oh my God, no, Abby! Yeah. Or like, ins- insert name, they shout. Yeah. To which I then shoot them in the arm to distract them, baseball bat their head off, next person, oh God, you killed them! <laughs> Shotgun to <laughs> So it just looked like she ran through with a steel pipe and just ended everybody. Yeah, and I had a similar experience, but I did. I do want to mention like one thing of when you shoot a leg off clean with a shotgun, the screams. Oh yeah, they are I made sh- curdling. I made sure to do it though because I don't feel bad for this enemy. No, yeah, me too. Like they, uh, this enemy, I do not feel bad about killing them, and I deliberately went for like toe shots to mm-hmm. take off their leg because did you know you have special animations if people are writhing around on the floor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have special kill animations for people on the floor, and Abby's, I think, is the worst, because she doesn't kill them. She just kicks them in the stomach so they can't scream. Yeah. So if you blow someone's leg off and they're like, ah, no, don't, ah, ah, she kicks them in the stomach to, like, wind them so they can't scream anymore. So I think it's the first time I went, like, fuck it, no one leaves this room. Because it's just going to cause more trouble. It's when you're playing as Abby and Yara gets shot. Oh, yeah, everyone dies. Like, especially as well when they're taunting you about it. Like, hey, Abby, get over here. And I was like, I'll fucking come at you then. You want to see? Like, some, a, a little like gameplay thing that really annoyed me. Um, mm. like, this is a detail that pissed me off. because it's, Again, it's something I, I read it as. They're trying to make Abby seem likeable. And it was. 
Um, in one scene, they talk about, oh, how many wolves are there? I don't know, thousands. Mm. Uh, but every single wolf you encounter speaks to Abby and knows her by name. And I... Every single one. Every single person you encounter in that game talks to her by name, despite the fact there are apparently thousands of these wolves and no, like, and there's so such a massive group. Um, there are people that you've never seen, and yet every person she encounters knows who she is. I get at the same time that it's one of those of, oh, well, she's essentially one of, like... The, the best soldiers they have. She's one of the, like, you know, lieutenants to Isaac, I suppose. But, yeah, like, it, it does seem a bit unrealistic when every single person knows her. Like, the bit where you first go up to the uh, the gate, and you think, oh, they're not going to know who she is. Like, she holds her hands with her no, I'm a wolf, I'm a wolf. And you think, oh, they're going to interrogate about who she is. And then the guy's out, oh, hi, Abby. Especially when, earlier on with Manny, they point out how many new people they've got that don't know what they're doing yet. And they all know Abby. Yeah. <laughs> they all know who she is. And again, that's something I read as, oh, they're trying to make her seem likeable. She's so friendly. Everyone knows who Abby is. When I read it as, oh, no, she just murders so many people, her reputation precedes itself. Yeah, probably. Like, if you see the woman, it's like, and as well, like, I found it kind of annoying. I know I mentioned like Abby's like her arms are so massive and distracting. The fact that that's how people describe her in game pissed me off. Like when um, Tommy's talking about, oh, I think I found Abby because the guy described a woman built like an ox, oh, the little yeah. Asian kid. And I went, okay, sure. And then later in the game, where Ellie's looking for her, oh, is it a girl? Ponytail, arms like mine. Yeah, yeah. It's like really. So I get it. Like it's, like it's an atypical body type with the fact that everybody in the game comments on it. Mm-hmm. But they seem to like it only seems to be guys who they're trying to make look bad. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. But, um, I'll be, uh, but like I said, that th- most of the game fell flat for me and I never forgave Abby. And I didn't stream this game because I, like, I wanted to take it on my own pace. But I wish that I had for the moment where um, you, you chase after Ellie and mm. you have to boss fight Ellie. Um, because I wish I'd recorded my reaction to that because I audibly told the game to fuck off, which I never do. I never like usually speak when I'm playing games on my own. Mm-hmm. I audibly told the game to fuck off, put my controller down, and turned off the console. Because I was so mad that the game thought I would want to fight Ellie. Like They yeah. thought, oh, after everything we've made you do, now you're on Abby's side. Surely you want to kill Ellie. It's like, no, I'll never want to kill her, I ever. I don't know if you did a similar thing to me. I stood up and let her shoot her. Uh, I, I found as many different ways for Ellie to kill Abby yeah, as possible. I refused to fight her. And do you know the bit of it like, where you've got a puncher and you have to oh, mash square to choke out Ellie? Yeah. I refused to do it. I refused to mash. And weirdly enough, I don't know if you thought the same thing. I thought that was going to be the moment when we swapped perspectives. Yes. Because, oh no, now you've got to fight the super fucking buff. Like, you know how capable Abby is. Yeah. And buff is in the sense that her character has all these skills. Because there was a bit when uh, she slams her against a wall and there was a camera movement where I thought... Yeah, I thought it was going to be... You, you throw... Like, maybe you'll do the first bit as Abby and when you throw Ellie through the wall, then you'll take control of Ellie. Yeah. Because now Ellie's on the back foot and it give you, like, Ellie with half health. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll do a thing like it swaps between them so you can see the gameplay from the other perspective. Yeah. Because the one thing I liked about that is that Ellie is almost impossible to see in listen mode. And she's so rapid. Yeah, if, like, if you go into listen mode, you can't see Ellie. And like, I thought that makes sense because that's why no enemy ever spots her. Yeah, she just darts about like... There were times when I'd see her in listen mode 
But then by the time she's walked off my screen, I, I couldn't find her again. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought maybe it'd be a cool thing to swap between and then see how scary it is to just have Abby running at you. And like you've got to like, okay, you've got a, a 0.1 second QTE to avoid her like just smashing your face into the wall like she just hit every other person she's fought so far. Yeah, I thought it would have been really cool. And I guess the reason that it isn't is because like Ellie loses the fight and people wouldn't be happy losing a fight as a player. But then it would have made me feel less bad. Yeah. I would have been fine if I controlled Ellie for that fight and I lost. Mm-hmm. Because that would have made me more pissed off and want to go do the hunting down thing. But yeah. because they make you control Abby and Abby wins and wins so handily. And I know she won because I played as her. If it had been from Ellie's perspective and you got to fight Abby and Abby still wins. And Abby and is like, just like this fucking unstoppable juggernaut. Yeah, and it's like, oh, even though you've got all your upgrades and like she's coming in without a gun. Yeah. Abby still beats you. I can see that me as a player, I'd have been pissed off enough to want to go on to that extra fight scene. It would have been like um, Ellie's thing of, not only is she pissed off that Joel died, she's pissed off that she lost. Yeah, and I think it was a real like missed opportunity to not do it that way. And it really annoyed me like, the, that the game thinks, like, that they even have the goal to think you'd want to fight Ellie after yeah. everything they've done to make you like her. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, The Walking Dead. Have you played any of The Walking Dead games? Uh, like the Telltale ones. I've played season yes. one. Okay, well in season one, um, it's you and Clementine, is it? it's Lee and Clementine. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of parallels you can draw between uh, The Walking Dead and um, uh, Last of Us. Yeah. Um, like, for example, in Walking Dead, you are a you can take control of a, a burly dude who becomes the ward of a young girl. Yeah, um, yeah. In a post-apocalyptic scenario, and the majority of the game is spent just protecting this girl. Mm-hmm. And in the second game, you play as Clementine herself, the little girl. And again, like, you, the player, take on the protector role in this sense, and you grow... You watch Ellie grow and become a more capable character as a result of your actions. In the third game, you play as a completely different character and you want and you see Ellie from the outsider's perspective. So you're not in her group anymore. You're not her protector. She's a fully independent character and you're witnessing what she does through the eyes of someone in that world who's never encountered her before. The problem with that is, is that they give you multiple options to side against Ellie. Classic. As if... The- Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, not Ellie. Yeah, Clem. Clementine. Yeah. Sorry, I got confused. They give you multiple opportunities in season three to side against Clementine, as if they don't, as if you haven't played the first two games as her and will never side against. <laughs> like um, one of the first big decisions you have in that game is um, a guy holding you at gunpoint who tells you hand over Ellie, and your choices are hand. O- oh, sorry. Damn it. I keep getting confused. Sorry. Um, hand over Clementine or I'll shoot you. And the big moral choice you have is hand over Clementine, this girl you've just met in the game, mm. or shoot the guy. Uh, so what okay. do you think? Like, and it's like, it's insulting that the developers and the writers think you would ever dis- like, side against Clementine. Yeah. Ever. And I believe like um, in those playthroughs, like Walking Dead does a, oh, how many percentage of players pick this? Like 95, if not 99% of players immediately within one second of that choice coming up, shoot that guy. Because <laughs> why would you ever choose a decision that negatively impacts the character they spent in two games making you like? Yeah. And it's the same thing with Last of Us, where they spend this entire game where you protect Ellie. And I found it insulting that they think I want to fight her. <laughs> why would you think I'd want to shoot this character that I want to win? It was something <clears throat> that I picked up that I found very telling is... Um, Playing through a lot of games, like I refer to myself as the player character, and I notice, like, yeah, when we were playing Last of Us one and two, 
both me and Jenna were sitting there going like, yes, I'm doing this. And then as soon as the perspective changed to Abby, we only referred to her as Abby. Yeah, Abby would like Abby is doing this. Yeah. And it was I never really like, oh, off. I've just done that. It was, oh, Abby's just done that. And like that just shows like how little I cared about that character. Like from a, like it, that's why it frustrates like the gameplay is so fun because if if they made her a more redeemable character, or just if she just shot Joel or any of the things we talked about, but um, and which makes brings me on to something I want to ask you because I thought about okay, so how would I if you keep everything the same? Um, is there a way that I would have made Abby likable? My thought was, and this is something I thought was going to happen in the game. And do you know right at the very end in Santa Barbara where mm-hmm. Abby gets caught? Yeah, yeah. And then it smash cuts to Ellie in the same location. Yeah. And you get caught. At that exact moment, when Ellie gets stepped on the trap, I thought, and I'm just going to tell you what I think was going to happen. I want to ask your opinion on like, whether or not it would have been better for you. Because it's probably a little bit cliche, but I think it still would have been cool from my perspective. And it is. Ellie gets caught, and you get sent to the same camp. You get sent to the same prison slash work camp run by these guys as Abby. And okay. you encounter Abby there. And what happens is... Abby and Ellie have a conversation. Because at no point in those games do they ever actually have a conversation. Mm-hmm. They have a standoff with a gun. And yeah. I think as well, like during the standoff where Abby has you at gunpoint, the insinuation there is she tells Ellie everything she did in the previous three days. Which I found out after the fact that's supposed to be the intention of that gunpoint standoff. Is Abby telling her what she just did? Did you read it like that? No. That Abby talks about, all oh, my friends are dead, and you don't want to have to. Anyway, um, and I thought, oh, here's what you do, is you have Abby and Ellie, they're trapped in prison, they can't fight, and if they fight, or maybe have, them have a scuffle and the guards, like, you know, hit them or something, or threaten mm. to shoot them. So they're forced into a situation where they can't fight, but they have to talk. And yeah. Ellie talks about the fact that Joel saved her, and that he, kill, and that he killed her dad to save her, and they, re- and they have that understanding of, they don't, forgive each other but they understand why each one did what they did mm-hmm. and maybe it would have been a bit easier to swallow if she didn't brutally beat Joel to death at the golf club but I think even then maybe if they'd had a conversation I'd have been like okay if Ellie can forgive her and I see that happening maybe I will too and that could have given you as the final gameplay section you now play as Ellie with Abby mm-hmm. And then you have them both. And then the final fight where you're escaping and killing all the bad guys and you have all the power weapons. And it's basically, this is the last hurrah where you have ev- access to everything. It's you and Abby and you both have your end game loadouts. And um, it maybe even gives you the choice to play as one or the other. Or maybe you switch between them. Yeah. Of like Ellie will sneak off and do something and you get to see their both gameplay. Instead, it's just, oh, Ellie goes through and you have a fist fight in the rain. And I just want to ask your opinion because I sat down for like half an hour because I'm sad like that and thought, okay, how would I make the story better? What would I have found more satisfying? What do you think of like that as the ending? Because that's genuinely what I thought was going to happen when Ellie gets strung up. I thought, oh, they're going to send us to prison. They're going to do the cliche thing. We're both in prison and we're both going to, we're going to fight together to fight our way out of prison. And during that, we're going to have a begrudging respect. And the ending of the game will be Ellie looking at Abby and just say, just go. And they'll part ways, not forgiving each other, but understanding. That's exactly how I thought it was going to go down. Oh, okay. So you had the exact same thought as me then. And would uh, you have found that more or less satisfying? Uh, I think overall, I would have found it less satisfying, to be honest. Because okay. I really enjoy that moment of Ellie, like, you know, forcing Abby to have the fight. And then being in that position where she kill it and just go, like, no. 
But that annoyed me because it's the games telling you, oh man, look, she's so defeated. Like, look at Abby, she doesn't even want to fight. Don't you feel bad attacking this opponent when that's the exact same thing she did to Joel? Uh, it's a completely defeated opponent who's at your mercy. It's like, oh. Right, and they even do the thing of like when you fight, when you whip out a switchblade and you're slashing her and she's recoiling in pain of like, oh no, you've slashed me with the knife. Like, look how pathetic and weak I am. It's like, this is exactly what she did to Joel and now the game's telling me this is a bad thing. Like, the game's trying to make me feel bad for this. <laughs> the thing, thing she did. The impetus yeah, of this never, entire I game. Felt bad for it because I understood where Ellie was coming from. But I was kind of like, that moment of just... I, I really appreciate that moment where just... For the first time, Ellie sees Joel in her head and it was in a good context and she goes, that's it, I'm done, that's all I need. All I need, but uh, how ham-fisted was it though that um, Abby bites off the two fingers she needs to play the chord? Oh God, yeah. So she can't now she can't play Joel's guitar? Yeah. And I, that annoyed me so much. That I, because that's what made me think of, okay, my ending in my head is like, the one of, oh, they they fight together and team up is a really cliche thing to have happen. And it's like, it's what you'd expect. It's the safe way to do it, I think. But at yeah, the same I think that's time. That's probably why we both thought of the exact same ending because and it's it probably is very why it didn't. the cliche thing. And it's why it didn't happen because they wanted to subvert your expectations for that. But yeah. I don't think it could have been any less, uh, any less ham fisted than, oh no, Abby bites off the two fingers so she plays guitar. So now Ellie doesn't have that connection to Joel anymore because her revenge mission stole it. Even though Joel's whole impetus for saving her was revenge. <laughs> Almost like it's a valid thing to do. It's like, oh, so bad. Like, it's hitting you over the head with the symbolism. Yeah. Like, I can see that. I agree with that. And um, it's why I, I think like my ending, which as cliche as it would have been, is it any more ham-fisted and forced than the visual representation of she bites off the two fingers she needs to play the card? I mean, and yeah, then they I even agree. have the bit like, of a... I, I think it wouldn't have been any less ham-fisted, but... With two fingers missing. Um, oh, man. Revenge costs you everything. And that's it, the thing is, that was definitely the the like whole structure of the story because the whole point is all three characters go through the same arc of like well Joel gets his comeuppance for revenge then Abby does then Ellie does and it's just kind of like well maybe like Ellie does Abby does you know it kind of they both Abby gets Abby gets off scot revenge missions Abby gets off scot she has like a couple of months where oh no she struggled for a little bit she was in this horrible prison camp well, also, She's you a... know, all of her friends her entire life got upsided by Ellie. But she hates them. So, so I just... I, they tried, so it's like, oh, it felt like they're trying to make you feel bad for, like, kicking a wounded puppy because Abby just doesn't want to fight. Mm-hmm. And at no point did I think, no, I, I want... To, and I never stopped mashing square, and I got mad when Ellie stopped. Yeah. No! Yeah. Kill her! Murder her! I... I think I would have, like regardless been okay with what they did at that point because i think ellie got what she needed but yeah i the also catharsis. wouldn't have been upset if she just murdered her and that's the question that and it all comes back to if joel's death hadn't have been as brutal and over the top i don't think i would have had half like, as half as negative reaction to it because i was fully fine with the character dying mm-hmm. i was okay with that it's just that it's almost like I think the word like torture porn really does cover that. Of 
just the amount of detail they put into showing you how much he suffered and like the lingering shot of his crushed skull, his brains leaking out and the gurgling sound of him dying. And they even have like a flashback to it where Ellie's remembering it wrong, but you hear him screaming in agony. Yeah. Where so now Ellie's been like she's remembering it incorrectly, but she's remembering like screaming her name and asking for help. It's like, why are you doing this if you want me to ultimately not want Abby to pay for it? I think the whole game weirdly had a bit of a torture porn vibe to it of like it did just the the level of detail in the, the gratuitous the noises. But it's not even like if Joel just if they just shot him. If she yeah. or if she just hit him over the head with a baseball bat, and it would have been like the like Joel is out in mid conversation, like Joel um, with uh, Ellie, and then just off camera, a baseball bat comes in and knocks him out and kills him. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if you noticed this. We can end on this where because you played it all in like I'm guessing a couple of sessions. Uh, yeah. Um, before you get on to the last point, I don't know okay. how you beat the game quicker than me because um, I remember playing it. And seeing you tweet out about, oh, this is like the game of the year because of the dog It's bit. the very start of the game, yes. And I was like hours ahead of you. I played it till six o'clock in the morning. Oh, right, okay. I played it all night, woke up, um, did my work and then played it all night again. So I did two full sessions and it was like four o'clock in the morning. And um, when I got to a section where it says kill Ellie, I went, fuck this, I'm done. And, oh, then, okay. re- and then replayed it later in the day after I'd woken up. So I was expecting this to be like an hour later life. and then finished half a day before me, and I was like, yeah, I just played it in like um, three three sessions. I've got two massive sessions. Yeah, so it took uh, me four days, and, about uh, twenty seven hours, I think it was. Roughly, I think my playtime at the end was like thirty hours because I spent a lot of time um, scouring for resources. Yeah, so I want to try to be. I like. I want to be like as fully stocked as possible for all encounters. Me too, but I think it was just because I was running through a lot of fights. Okay, because I stayed and I like scavenged every single area, so I was like quite well stacked in terms of uh, my items and my like um, resources and stuff by the end of the game. I was fully stocked at the end, like so much to the point where I was trying to craft stuff that I didn't need to pick up more stuff. Yeah, I had that point, and like my very, the very, very, very final fight. Like the last combat room, mm-hmm. I saved all my submachine gun ammo for that bit, so I had like a hundred machine gun rounds, <laughs> and just went fucking ham on everybody because it's a silenced machine gun, so I can use it from like the bushes. Yeah. So I lied down in the bushes, and then when people walked past, us, headshot them, which I felt super cool, like diving into the bushes and people come over and shout, like, "Where'd you go? Bang! Headshot!" Yeah. Just but like, anyway, oh, what were you getting to the point of? Uh... I completely forgot. I remember it being a good point as well. What, did, what was my start-up for it? What did I say to lead into it? What was, like, the impetus for me saying it? Uh, I don't know, because, like, all I really had was, like, oh, um, you said, I'm going to end on this, and I, I'd be in a few days. And what did I say before I'm going to end on this? I can't remember. Because I completely forgot. Yeah. Ah, oh, damn. That's going to frustrate me now, because I'll listen to it back when I upload this. I'm like, damn! Like, Carl will be like, oh, I remember my point now. I remember my point, but I also don't remember my point. It's going to really, really frustrate me. I'm like slowly just trying to walk back through my memories in my head and see if I can remember any. I do apologise for derailing you. No, oh, no, it's fine. It's um, I think it was a gameplay thing. Is it a gameplay thing? Or was it a story thing? Of like, uh, we talked about like, it was like Joel being killed, and it's like if he'd just been killed normally. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Um, to end on for gameplay wise, uh, because you played it in one big session like I did. Did you get really, really pissed off by the end of the game with um, 
oh, I'm going to climb through his window, but the character you're with refuses to go through the window first. And you, th and you can know, you know the moment you go through that window, you're going to be attacked from off camera by a clicker or by an enemy. Because it happens about 15 times throughout the game. But because I played it in two big sessions and then like one right at the end, I saw that coming a mile off by the third time. Uh, yeah, like, for I, example, I did when you see with it Abby, with a lot of the occasions, but I didn't really get annoyed by it or anything. Like for example, with Abby, when you're about to leave that Firefly house, and I could tell, I could tell that I'm going to get tackled from off camera by an enemy because mm. Lev won't leave the door first. Like, I'm being forced to go through this door and I went, and every time I saw it, I'd listen mode and go, there's no one around. There's no one around for at least 20 fucking feet. And Abby, this survivalist motherfucker who's trained as a trained soldier and never lets anyone take her by surprise, gets sideswiped by a guy who's like 300 pounds overweight. The one time it annoyed me was when I um, got ambushed, and I presume it's a set-piece moment, I well, got yeah, ambushed I at a random workbench. Yes, that, that one was cool though because I did not expect that and I'm glad they did it once. But at the same time, I then went, well, this is kind of bullshit because I had like listened around the entire yes, area. Yes, that's paid what pissed so me much off. attention, made sure there was no one in the room. And then twice, the enemy spawns in out of nowhere. And then pressed triangle and got attacked. It's like the one with um, when Yara gets killed. Yeah. I knew she was going, I knew something was going to happen because that entire time it's Yara and Lev running ahead. Mm hmm. But we got to a certain doorway and Yara's just stood next to it. Ah, okay. And I stood there and was like, okay, you go through first because if you stay behind, I want you in front of me so I know which way to go. Mm -hmm. And I stood there for about 30 seconds and she's not moving. Oh, then, then there's a cut scene through this door. So I went into listen mode, no one around. Go through the door, cut scene starts. And again, this super paranoid motherfucker who's like one of the most competent people in that apocalypse gets sideswiped by people they didn't see. Yeah. And and it happens like 10 times. Mm -hmm. And I could see it coming every single fucking time. And it pissed me off tonight. It happens to like Ellie. So, like, oh, I'm walking, but the game's kind of railroading me to walk in a certain direction. Yeah. I'm going to step into a trap, which I know is coming, but I can't avoid because the game makes me step in. It's like, oh, and I guess that is kind of just a trope of being like a naughty dog type game. But it happens so much. Like but I they think it happens so much because, again, yeah, we played it in two, three sittings. In two, three sittings, yeah. But they rely on it so much. Like they use it as the cheap way to get a shocked reaction out of you. And I think that's what turned me around on it, where it's it's something that they utilize multiple times. Like how many, it's like at least four examples of, oh, squeeze through this area. And it's like, well, when's the clicker going to come through? Yeah. But when's the clicker that I didn't see in listen mode that's not in this building that you're going to spawn in to attack me as I get to the end of this corridor? The only time it got me, not cutscene-wise, was those fuckers that hide in the wall. Yes, and I got to the point where I just shot them. Every but time I, I saw one of those, I, I just shot it. It happens infrequently enough that it only happened three times to me the entire game, and I wasn't seeing it come in. Do you know what the worst part about that is as well? Um, you can walk past them and it won't happen, and then you can walk back and it happens again. And it can kill you when you're on low health. Oh, I was never on low health. <laughs> because I was playing... I think I played on survivor mode. Like, do you know the one above um, easy? Right. Which is why I was so, being so aggressive, because I had so little ammo. I just played on whatever the normal difficulty oh, okay. Was. And they can kill you if you're on low enough health. Because they'll charge across the room and get you in a grab animation. That's instant. Oh, no, I don't mean the ones that, like, would charge across the room. I mean the ones that were literally 
like stuck inside yeah. the wall as you walk past. Yeah, because they can jump out and grab you. Yeah. And um, the only way to get them off you quickly enough is if you've got a shiv, but even then you still take a little bit of damage, which can kill you. So oh, right, I had right. um, one of the things that happened to me that really got me annoyed was what I saw it, looked at it, walked past holding my gun pointed at the wall. Didn't happen. Go out, check the room, kill some things, come back in. So I remember, okay, I shot a, gu- a bullet and there's another bullet in the room. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and get those bullets that I saw. Then he popped out the wall and got me and killed me because I had low oh, health. God. Because I thought, oh, the encounters are over. I'll wait until I get more healing items before I waste a health thing. Yeah, yeah. Because I only use health things before encounters because I want to like, make sure I've got as much as I can. Because sometimes you find like the candy bars and stuff in the environment that give you a little bit of health. And that yeah, killed yeah, me yeah. and it restarted the entire encounter. And I just got... like It's so cheap a trope for them to do. I'm, fu- I'm surprised they didn't do the workbench one more. Yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of glad that they had the restraint to only do it once. Mm-hmm. And in a game like that, you get one. You get one of them because they think you're you doing do, dead yeah. space as well. Where in dead space, there is one encounter in one game where enemies attack you in a save point or near a workbench. Yeah, yeah. And they only do it once. Or in God of War, where they hide enemies inside chests. But they only do it like until you're about like, 20 hours through the game. So it does take you by surprise and they don't do it again. Yeah, yeah. So, but I was expecting that to happen a hell of a lot more because at so many points, like almost all of the drama in that game and all the things that are like story beats that are supposed to surprise you happen when you're completely blindsided by a cutscene thing you would have avoided if you had control of L.E.R. Abbey. True, yeah, yeah. Like, because my version of Abbey, the way I played her, would in no way have been sideswiped by a guy who came out of nowhere because I would have, one, known he was there and two, shot him in the leg and punched him to death. Oh, totally. And I think it's similar to the cutscene where Ellie gets trapped in, like, a rabbit trap thing. And, like, yeah, my version of Ellie would not have fallen for that and she definitely would not have been <laughs> um, uh, defeated by it. I did like, though, she, she got out in a very Ellie way. She did. She did. She used, like, you know, her immunity to advantage. Mm. But, like, the fact that it's oh, this stealthy character that uses traps all the time and is basically the trap master didn't get, like, she got caught out by the trap. Yeah. And she doesn't see it coming. Yeah. Even though there are, like, hanged things in it. Same with Abby, where this hyper-vigilant character who's constantly on edge and aware of all surroundings at all times gets sideswiped by a 300-pound man who can barely move. And I guess it's kind of like, you know, the opposite to plot armor. Um, It's just... it. That it has to happen, but yeah, it is over. It is an overused trope in games in general, and it's really overused in that game. And it's usually used for shock value. Yeah, because that's how a lot of the times, like your characters get killed, is when you get sideswiped off screen by something you could have avoided if you had control of your character. And the other thing that I will say is like that's similar is just the fact that we still live in a day and age where combat music is a thing, and like. Oh, without surveying the room, the characters just know, oh, there's no one left and the music can stop now. Yeah. You also have the thing as well, where if you walk into a room, you see waist-high cover, you know there's going to be enemies. Oh, yeah, the amount of times I turned around to Jenna as we were looking around and was like, oh, well, uh, combat's about to happen here then. Yeah, because wait, there's waist-high cover. And um, speaking of combat, like, um, another thought I had, again, this is a, a super cliche thing to have happened, but it would have made the entire story experience for me a bit more palatable. Like, I would have been okay, because I, I thought again, like, how, would I, how would I have been okay with Joel dying the way that he did? Mm. And I would have been okay if Joel went down swinging. 
And I mean that in the sense that um, if they would have sent an army after Joel, yeah. And your final thing, do you know, like the Zach Fair moment in Crisis Court, where it's just there is an unwinnable wave of enemies that you got to fight. I, I guess and, so, yeah. But like, obviously, the the moment that he lets his guard down and she knows who he is, it's like, well, yeah, Abby's not the type of person to fuck around. She just shoots his leg off. Like he's got yeah, no chance. He's got no chance. And I I get it. That's all they want to do. But I would have that moment for me would have stung a lot less if Joel would have gone down swinging. Like, if he'd have at least taken one of them out with him. Or had any, like, moment to, like, you know, he's still got that spark about him. That's the reason I mean. But no, he, he goes, he's, he dies horribly beaten to death, screaming in agony. And he I doesn't think even... it's one of those of, like, it's not to say that Joel wasn't competent anymore. I think it's just, oh, he had no idea after four years there'd be people hunting him still. Still. they take him down, like... Without him even getting a, a moment's notice, it is. But say, I would just think I I thought like, would I have been oh how would I have been okay with that death scene? And for me, it was if Joel went down like a fucking hero, like if like Ellie came in, there's like forty dead people around him. Like, but do you know at the same like, time, yes. Um, would it have been believable if Joel had any fighting chance that he didn't make it out? Uh, probably not now. Well, I, I was hoping like, for a Noble Six moment. Yeah, I get it, because like it does make the death seem a bit more palatable, but like the same time, after taking down an entire hospital worth of fireflies with like a couple of <laughs> weapons, would that man have gone down? That's the thing that gets me, because he died in such an unsatisfying way, especially as well, when I know he's like he's a lot more calm and reserved, but... Like, the Joel in the previous game literally sniffed out an ambush from a quarter mile away in a car. Yeah, again, I think that is just a case of, like, he's lost his, like, paranoia and his edge. He's lost his edge. Oh, man. But, like, if it had just gone down, like, Ellie does more time. She slashes that guy across the face. I totally get what you mean, but, yeah, I think, like, the Joel that I have in my head would have never got taken down by eight people. If he exactly, knew. and that's why it was so frustrating that he goes down so easily. Like, if at the very least, like, he, he could, like, him and Tommy sniffed out what was going on, and maybe they put you in, like, a fight scene mm. where there's, like, a couple of nameless jobbers in that group, and you and Tommy work together and take a few of them out, and then they get the drop on you in the Naughty Dog-style cutscene of they attack you from off-camera <laughs> and you can't help it. Just so at the very least you feel like you had some ability to stop it, even though you don't. Just so you feel like maybe Joel could have survived if things went a little bit different instead of they blow his leg off with a shotgun. I mean, maybe, but I think I might have also been annoyed. Like, oh man, Joel didn't take down an entire room of enemies Which when he, he knew it was like, he, he, he was on edge. Or maybe have the thing that they shoot him in the leg. Like she shoots him in the leg with a gun and then like you and Tommy run out and then you're injured. Yeah. And, yeah. They, and they get the drop on him because he's injured. But then like you and Tommy, like you take a few of them down. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, that noble six moment where just you as the player get that little bit of catharsis where it's like you can take a couple of the enemies out, but they do eventually overwhelm you. I'm sure there could have been a way to do it, but yeah, I think it would have, for me, had to have been that they sent like a complete fucking army at Joel and he took most of them out. Which they have. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but obviously they're fighting their own war or whatever, but... Yeah, but like they could have done that. They could have sent like a... They could have, in that group, had like a dozen or so extra nameless jobbers who were yeah, part they could of the group. Have, they could have done it that way, but if it was the, the case scenario of, oh, they, they sent like 
eight people, a dozen people, whatever, and Joel didn't or, take them all out, I've been kind of annoyed. Or do it that you run into an area that's full of infected. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you've you got to take out the infected as well. And they walk in and Joel's taken out like 30, 40 infected. Yeah, maybe that way, yeah. And they kill him that way. Well, um, I don't know. I just uh, the the death for me felt super unsatisfying, and it's I think it's really the impetus for a lot of people of why they don't like the game. Yeah, and I can understand why because it completely soured my experience. And the fact it's so early in the game as well, mm-hmm. I, I feel like even if they just move that death scene to the end, if they Maybe, just put but it I to the end, I do think it had to happen that early for like you know for it to focus Ellie's on revenge being Ellie's revenge story. But no, um, like. All in all, a very, very strong game, and I will. I, it's earned the like the critical praise that it's got. I and like, for, you know, having a conversation with you, and you're the only real like person outside of the room that I was in. That I've had a discussion with. Yes, um, it's surprising to me that it's been so overwhelmingly positive because we've come out both with you know, especially gameplay wise, saying it's a solid game, but story-wise and character-wise, we've been on very opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, like there are some moments that are incredibly weak. And like, if people want to give it a 10 out of 10, same time they can. And I don't think it needs to be clarified, but all the people who are shitting on the game, for like, oh, because it has a gay character in it. And the people spreading like the rumors, like, oh yeah, Abby is trans because she looks like a man. It's like, no women... And sending death threats well. to the developers of calling it like SJW nonsense. Like, yeah. fuck off. Like, you, like, you are... So like, just you are the worst element of gaming, and totally. I hate and you. I think it says it all that these people had these conceptions before they played the game themselves. Yeah, and they're like review bombing and stuff. So like, my opinion is like, I guess it's probably nice people listening. Like, I don't like some things that the game did, but I can appreciate some of the things that it did. And the fact that I am like talking to you and I've workshopped things in my head to make it better for me shows that I really do like the game. It's just that. I don't, it wasn't as satisfying for me as a fan of the first one. And I think, um, yeah, like one thing we can both agree on is the gameplay is fantastic, but... Mechanically, yeah, it's flawless, yeah, as I said. I think the fact that we can sit here and have this conversation and be so passionate about it, even though we've got different opinions on certain yeah. things, just go and try it yourself because we both clearly... Well, yeah, no one listening to this, someone listening to it. And, Think it had an impact in some way. It did, yes. It just fell flat for me because I'm a cynical person and mm-hmm. I play games a lot. So a lot of the things that they try to do, like the tricks and the hooks I could see through to yeah. try and make me like this character, they fell very flat for me and they didn't work. But at the same time, I can understand why they would work for other people or why some people have had the exact opposite reaction to me and they think it's a really good story. But yeah, for me, very, very good game. Um, I can see why it'd be divisive, but I can't see why it'd be as, as divisive as it is. And I'm not yeah, going to put a numerical um, score against what I think about it because I think that's like the that ruins reviews because it yeah. removes all nuance from a thing. I'm just going to say I like it. I I am glad that I played it. I will play it again. But there are parts of it that I'd change. I really enjoy. Well, I didn't enjoy it to be honest. That's it's a. I enjoyed the moments moment gameplay. It was I, super I enjoyed fun. the gameplay. I did. I like yeah. You you understand what I mean when I yeah. say I didn't enjoy it. like. I liked playing the game and I'm really glad that I experienced it. I'm not sure that brutally murdering people are hearing screams and seeing yeah. people's heads pop off for 30 hours is enjoyable. 
Uh, the gameplay to do it though, like, mechanically the to do it though, fantastic. I really because I'm, like, it, I play a lot of games. Like, I'm so removed, and I know for a fact they put that all in to try and make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to feel bad because it's a fucking video game. But I can see why people would be affected by it because they they spent a lot, they went to a lot of effort to make it as impactful as possible. They did. Yeah. I really need to piss now so you can hear I'm talking fast. So any final thoughts, Luke, before we go? So I need to go pee. Super uh, bad. Eh, I don't think it was a necessary sequel, but now that I've got it, I'm glad. And I, I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it's a story that didn't need to be told, but the game itself is very good and I recommend it. Bye-bye.